Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and it's like I always say, three podcasters cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Joining me today is Devinder Hardawar. Remember, folks, get your tires inspected. They're important. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Adam Driver stars in Ferrari? This is the most on-the-nose casting since Dennis Hopper was in Super Mario Brothers. It would be like if Shirley Temple was in Indiana Jones, if John Candy was Willy Wonka, if Kevin Bacon starred in Breakfast at Tiffany's, if back in the 80s they cast Jeremy Irons as Mr. Mom. Is is the eighties? The eighties was a different time. Wow. Different my takeaway here, the eighties, I think, is when that statement started, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> my takeaway from all this, Jeff, is that I think the beekeeper broke you. Like you're just associating <laughs> names and like tasks now. It's just like uh, those are, of course, all vague and oblique. It's great. Mark references <laughs> to the fact that today on the podcast we're going to be reviewing Michael Mann's Ferrari. Blake Howard from One Heat Minute Productions is going to be joining us for that. It's going to be a great chat, so look forward to that. You can find more episodes of this podcast at filmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms at the Filmcast Pod. We're uploading our reviews on YouTube. We're putting clips on Instagram and also at tiktok.com slash thefilmcast. And support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Jeff Kanata, we did get quite a bit of uh, support. I'm going to say yeah. support for Jeff's absolute disdain of the beekeeper last week <laughs> people well, i thought you were gonna say about my movie talking stuff but that was in the after dark we'll talk about that in the after dark mm-hmm. a lot of support for me just in general this yeah, week. yeah just, just overwhelming support <laughs> um you know kai from patreon.com slash film podcast wrote i'm with jeff the beekeeper was terrible but it was worth it to get jeff's limerick and his bean counter joke um the people who made this movie probably think john wick would be better if he retired and started making candles <laughs> I love it. That's good. That's it very good. It would be actually. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, the beekeeper definitely a mixed mixed review here on the uh, mixed. I think is what what you could say. You know. Um, but do be, do be sure to check that review out. All right. So today on the podcast, uh, we are going to start by talking about Oscar nominations and then talk about some what we've been watching. I just got back from the Sundance Film Festival last night at 11 p.m. And so I'll be sharing a few movies. I, I saw, I think, about 13 movies while I was there. Wow. Um, and well I'll be done. sharing about three of them. Uh, and then in the After Dark, I can share a few of my uh, sort of reactions to the festival and, and some of my experiences there. So uh, anyway, that is what How we How was it, though? You haven't been in a quite a long time, right? Uh, that is true. And I think uh, overall, it's a, it's a really cool experience because... Uh, you're, you're cold I all mean, the Je- time. Je- Jeff, you it is... so cold. It, yeah, it's very cold. Uh, there is not very much oxygen. You're at 7,000 feet elevation. That's called a Tuesday for me here in Denver. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is, you know, Jeff's paradise because you are seeing movies before literally anyone else on the planet. And yeah. There's no way to that, be spoiled. It's not possible. There's, there's no way to be spoiled. Not only that, I have found that the... Like they'll write a description in the program for what the movie is, and many times those descriptions are kept purposefully vague uh, to, to to avoid spoiling any surprises. And so, yeah, there's no trailers. There, the trailer doesn't even 
freaking exist <laughs> for these movies. Yeah, it could be like a no full trailer before cut. some of these movies come out. Yeah, yeah. You know? but but um, many of the actors and the directors are there. I was in the same room as Kristen Stewart and Sebastian Stan and Renata Reinsva, who is uh, plays the 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 worst person in the world. You know, she was in a couple movies as well. So it's just, um, and you can feel the excitement. You know, people debuting their movie for the first time and seeing the reaction to it. It's awesome. Uh, so yeah, it's um, it's a really cool experience. It's it's uh, pretty expensive to go. Like lodging is pretty expensive. The passes are pretty expensive. Um, so unfortunately, it's it's not like super accessible. Uh, but I don't know, like. I, I think it's very special to go, and I'll, I'll sh- share more about it in the After Dark uh, this week, but I had a great time, and I'll talk about the movies I saw uh, very shortly. So, all that said, this morning, we you know we delayed the podcast by a day uh, this week because I had to come back from Sundance, and I appreciate the guys being flexible with their schedule. Uh, and, of course, we planned it so that we'd be able to talk about the Oscar nominations today. That was 100% intentional. Uh, so, yeah, the Oscar nominations were announced this morning. And uh, I thought we could just talk a little bit about some of the the big headlines uh, of what is what has been nominated and kind of what did well, what is surprised us. Uh, but the big story, I would say, is Oppenheimer earned thirteen nominations. Poor Things got eleven nominations. Killers of the Flower Moon got ten nominations, and I want to say Barbie got eight nominations. So those are the big kind of winners of the nominations. And I do feel like uh, an Oppenheimer sweep is really possible mm-hmm. you know like i think Oppenheimer. Like yeah oppen sweeping he'll, he'll blow away the competition oppen, oppen sweeper oppen sweeper <laughs> sweep ends with a p op ends with a p you just sweepenheimer come on uh so yeah but but oppenheimer ends with an er and sweeper you know ends right. with an, okay anyway <laughs> Uh, so yeah, those, those are kind of the big, uh, the, the ones that like really took a a lot of nominations. Um, I'm going to say that my favorite surprises of the day were past lives did very well. It got nominated for best picture. Yeah. It got nominated for best original screenplay. That is a small movie that not that many people have seen, but you know, obviously was on my top 10. Divinger, was it on your top 10? It was the year. I, I, I think it was. I know I you love. I know you love the movie. Top top. So I really love the movie. You so love I the movie. If it was there, but I loved it yeah. for a long time last year. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I love to see that. Also, Anatomy of a Fall. This is really yeah. interesting, right? Anatomy of a Fall was not submitted by France as their official entry to the best international features category for the Oscars. Now, there's some very good reasons for that. Uh, reason number one: it, French it's best is not nominee now. <laughs> That's the best French, reason. French is not spoken uh, mm-hmm. very frequently during that movie. It's like at, at most one third of the movie features French. And so they submitted The Taste of Things instead. Uh, and that movie, unfortunately, got completely shut out of the Oscars. <laughs> it, it, I don't think it won anything. It got any yeah. nominations. Um, that said, T- Taste of Things is a very good French movie. And so is worth checking out. Uh, but the Academy was like, guess what, France? We know better than you what good French movies are. We're nominating Anatomy of a Fall on, across multiple categories, including Best Director, uh, yeah. which is so great. really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and Anatomy of a Fall, mine and Jeff Kanata's number one film of 2023. And Sandra Huller getting a nomination yes. for Best Actress. So deserved. I love it. Yeah, she's uh, awesome. so happy to see that. I'm also super excited to see how many nominations American Fiction got. Yeah, yeah. I think I uh, like that. I think that was, I was the only one that had that on my 
top 10 of the year. Correct. Uh, I, I had it at number four. I loved that movie. It's a great I movie. I love yeah. that Jeffrey Wright got nominated mm-hmm. for best actor because it's it's not a showy performance. It's really grounded and and subtle, and it, but still lovely performance and very much worthy of a nomination. So just wonderful to see American fiction in the best picture category. And yeah. And uh, also a uh, best supporting actor uh, was a surprise. I don't think people yeah, thought Sterling that he K. was Brown. A, yeah. Sterling yeah. K. Brown. I don't think people thought he was a lock for that category at all. So uh, no. he definitely got some plaudits there as well. It's it cool bit, to see. Yep. Go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say it's a bit uh, in that same category. It's a bit sad to see Ryan Gosling, the only man in a movie for women or about women yeah, uh, he's the only one that got nominated in the acting. No Greta Gerwig, no Margot Robbie. That that actually is, I'm gonna say, um, infuriating. I'm just gonna yeah. put that out there. But like, we did I, get a net betting in Nyad, everybody. <laughs> well, it happened. I look, guys. I, I was not a huge fan of the the Barbie movie, um, but you ca- like you cannot deny yeah. the artistry, the creativity, mm-hmm. the vision it took to bring that movie to the big screen. Uh, and Greta Gerwig is like the driving creative force behind that movie. So yeah. that uh, that she was not nominated for Best Director, I think, um, is really sad g- given it's that Ryan ridiculous. Gosling, you know, and that, yeah. by the way, that is, for those who haven't seen Barbie, that is basically the plot of the movie. Is that, <laughs> right. Is that people like Ryan Gosling continue to get uh, nominated by the Mojo Casa Dojo House mm-hmm. of the Academy Awards. And um, yeah. And, and he uh, is people, good in the movie, but it also yeah. feels like he's not even, he's just being himself and being fun is the thing. Like it doesn't even feel <laughs> yeah. like acting. So I don't know. Maybe you award that. Uh, I, yeah. I feel like, I mean, t- to be fair, yeah, I don't necessarily think Margot Robbie's performance deserves an Oscar nomination either, but I also don't think Ryan Gosling's does. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, fair. You fair. can be that, fair about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, I wouldn't, it's not that I would, uh, I think she got snubbed more that like, why are we? <laughs> Why do we think his performance deserves to be in there? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they couldn't so, stop playing that song. Their kids kept playing "I'm Just yeah. Ken" over and over again, and it just got in yeah. their brains. To be fair, know? Margot Robbie did get nominated uh, for uh, Best Picture because she was one of the yeah. producers of Barbie. So I'm glad yeah. that. But Greta Gerwig was on. not. Well, Greta yeah. Gerwig is for Best Adapted Screenplay, which is yeah. nice yeah. to see. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just weird. Uh, Greta Gerwig is not a producer on that movie. I just found that I, surprising. That is, yeah, that is odd. I posted about uh, this the Barbie thing, and somebody said, "Who? Well, David Chen, who would you remove from Best Director in order to give that uh, award?" Okay, so the Best Director nominees, Jonathan Glazer. Yeah, I, uh, Jeff, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I had the same exact thought, uh, <laughs> but uh, and I know a lot of people like. Uh, the, the zone of interest and so you know uh, no, but it's just like my and Jeff's opinion is like you know like I, I think we thought it was an interesting movie um, I certainly thought it was interesting and had some some uh, valuable things to say but not a movie that I uh, thought it was even close to Jonathan Glazer's best work um, but yeah uh, Justine Trier uh, Martin Scorsese Christopher Nolan Yorgos Lanthimos and Jonathan Glazer are the nominees for best director uh, and yeah, of, of those five, I would say Jonathan Glazer are the weakest um, in that category. And I could easily see giving that up for um, for Greta Gerwig's work in Barbie. Um, speaking of Killers of the Flower Moon, no nominee for Leonardo DiCaprio, which I actually was surprised by because I thought he was phenomenal. I thought that was a lock. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was surprising to me that he did not get nominated. Um, but I'm glad yeah. to see Lily Gladstone nominated, though. Um, yeah. She's phenomenal in it. Uh, so, you know, I think for my money, I think Emma Stone's going to, is a lock for this 
award. You personally. think she's going to win that award? You're saying I do. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's me, I'm, I'm I'd give it to Sandra Huller personally. But I love yeah. I loved Carrie Mulligan's performance as well, and Lily Gladstone. So I think this is a very strong category. I didn't see Nyad, but um, other, the the other four nominees, I think, just extremely strong category. Yeah, Annette Bening got nominated for Best Actress in Nyad, and then Jodie Foster got nominated right for Best mm-hmm. Supporting Actress in Nyad. And I have to say. The veracity of the movie may be in doubt, but I thought both of them really did a phenomenal job in that film. So, and by the way, it's it's really impressive. I'm so impressed by Jodie Foster just in general. Like, this is an actress who has continued to remain relevant after yeah. all these decades. She was nominated. I think she won the Academy Award for what? Silence of the Lambs and The Accused, mm-hmm. right? And decades later, she is not only in an Academy Award nominated performance in Nyad, but she is crushing it. Uh, as a cop on True Detective Night Country right now, and it's just like it's cool yeah. to be able to like. Well, she's taking her fullness. breaks. She is not like been a constant presence too. Is the thing. Yeah. So we've had time away from her, and now she can be back and be fully she's come empowered. back. You know, yeah. which is awesome. Um, now Maestro got nominated for Best Picture. No, and Bradley Cooper got nominated for Best Actor. No nomination for Best Director as well for that category, which I thought would have been. I, I thought that would have been well deserved, Jeff. And I think you know you you would agree with that, right? I um, agree. I I don't know where you slot him in um mm-hmm. you know, yeah it, it would be nice to have uh i, I would put greta, greta gerwig in there before him but i do I think, think so. he, i agree with that yeah he is deserving uh, i mean i think the the directing of that film is superlative so i, do. I agree I, excellent I, I think just in general my opinion is there's too many best picture nominees i don't i don't think having 10 <laughs> right. movies is wise because that just it just prompts the you got snubbed discussion it's like right. if the movie is the, one of the best pictures why then wasn't have it to, nominated for best direct? Did no one direct it? Basically, it's ridiculous. Right? Yeah. It's a ridiculous yeah. notion. And it's like, oh, well, then does that does that mean that the movies that were on the best picture list, but their directors aren't nominated, aren't really contenders for best picture? Because right, right. It's like it's a stupid, stupid, it's stupid. I, you know, I, on the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, it does mean that, you know, a movie like Past Lives can get a best picture nomination mm-hmm. when it never otherwise would be. And that's probably fair. very meaningful to that movie, right? That's like, a fair point. Um, but I, I agree. It's kind of it's weird. There's always the conversation. Did no one direct Past Lives? No one it's, direct Barbie? You know? Yeah, I agree. It's impossible it's not. Weird. I mean, they're making it yeah. assured that you're going to have that conversation because you have fewer possible choices. Or maybe like expand the best director to ten. You know, like then it would be uh, less. Ten is think can it only many. be the same. But then, the same but then you have and to do that movie. for all the yeah. yes, for all the categories. Ma- it, yeah, ten is yeah. too many. It's it's. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you really. I feel like you really see the purpose of these awards, which is a uh, extension of the promotional arm of these studios. It's like, Mm -hmm. we're going to extend these award categories to include a lot of movies that we want to, I don't know. I I, I agree with you past lives. It's lovely to see it there. I thought Mm -hmm. it was a lovely movie and and a smaller movie that maybe will get extra attention and, you know, things like poor things and zone of interest and the holdovers might get more attention as well. Um, American fiction and these movies that are not, I think probably weren't huge box office hits. Maybe we'll get people to give them another look, but I don't know. It's yeah. just too I mean, many in my opinion. It's the thing. It's the one thing the Academy can do to like feign a sort of like, I don't know, broad popularity, right. To, to be like, Oh, we are one with the people. Right. Because if it was just five, it is very easy to have a year where it's a bunch of movies that only the Academy has seen. Right. Or only cinephiles have mm-hmm. seen. And then like general audiences don't watch the show or don't pay attention to it too. So. I think yeah. that was the reason. There was a year it was really bad, as I recall. It is cool that we. It is cool that 
it's now seemingly a rare occurrence when the movie's nominated for Best Picture and are likely to win actually did mm-hmm. well at the box office. Um, yeah. But it is cool that we have two movies in Best Picture category that made close to a billion dollars. One of them made well over a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie. Uh, and that's great. I, I love that. I love that we have movies oh. that are nominated that are also doing well. I think the that's Top actually Gun really got nominated last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, I think it's pretty, else? Yeah. pretty likely that Oppenheimer will win, even though I, I, I certainly wouldn't pick that movie as as best picture. I, I, I think it's a fine movie. I, I'm not disparaging it. I just don't think it's. Yeah. The, it. it, it it is a unique movie, very unique, I think, in that it, uh, it sits in the Venn diagram of something that is commercially successful and Oscar bait, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I like think a, been... experimental, narratively, yeah. too. Like, it's an unusual movie. <clears throat> yeah. I wish I liked it more, too. Uh, things I would call out, by the way, I, w- I wish The Boy and the Heron could have made, like, a Best Picture nom, at least. Like, I wish... I wish like potentially the last Miyazaki movie could have that spot. That would have mm. been nice. Um, did also, get nominated Robot, for best anime. Did get nominated it for did. best animated. It did get, you know, animated. So. A lot of people yeah, upset um, that uh, Ninja Turtles did not. Mutant Mayhem did not. Mm. Yeah. That's a good movie, but I'm, uh, you know what? I'm surprised that Robot Dreams was nominated because that is something that nobody has seen except for like a handful of critics. That is a movie. It's a Spanish movie. No dialogue. It is wonderful. I love it. Um, but it's not hitting theaters, I believe, in the U.S. until like February. Like it's mm. not fully released yet. So people will see that movie soon, and hopefully we can talk about it. That was one of my favorite things I saw last year. But I have not talked about it because nobody can see it. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else to call out? I want to say it's cool to see Divine Joy Randolph get nominated mm-hmm. for Best Supporting Actress in Supporting Role. Uh, America Ferrer, I think, was a big surprise. Like people yeah. weren't expecting that yeah. her to get nominated, but and she was nominated for Barbie. Uh, but I, I'm rooting for Divine Joy Randolph. I think she's yes. really excellent in the holdovers, and and I hope she. I think she it, makes it is interesting that uh, Wes Anderson may get his first Academy Award yeah. for a short for a short <laughs> film, right? Yeah, which is you know I'm I am conflicted about that because on the one hand I think the wonderful story of Henry Shigar is very good. I mean, is is incredibly good, but. I also feel like the best live action short film is usually people that don't have the kind of yes. budget and means and accessibility and all that stuff. And you yeah. really, sometimes you, that yeah. category is one that shines a light on these smaller things. And I, I feel like if Wes Anderson walks away with it, which I think is pretty likely, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of, it's kind of a the shame. Purpose of yeah. That can category. you imagine being yeah. like in that category? You're like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting a call from your agent. <laughs> all right. I've got some, Good news and some mixed news. <laughs> yeah, your <laughs> your Lasse Lichjernor, uh, and you and you made Knight of Fortune, and you're like, oh yes, <laughs> yes, you've been nominated for an Oscar. Oh, but by the way, uh, your competitor Wes Anderson. Have you heard of him? <laughs> yeah. Literally one of the favorite filmmakers in Hollywood and the world. Uh, yeah, he's also in the category. You know, bad. That's a shame. P- pretty rough, uh, rough uh, COVID. <laughs> yeah. I hey, shout out to Sean Wang who was nominated for a documentary short film called Nai Nai and Waipo, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, he directed a movie that premiered at Sundance that I saw this week. Um, and that was very good. And it's so it's cool to see he got nominated and then he, he got, you know, Sundance debut. Uh, good things are happening for him. And he's obviously, he's dealing, like his movies deal with um, the Asian American uh, immigrant experience. So uh, 
big shout out to Sean Wang. I wanted to say, can mm-hmm. I? Um, I yep. I'll say an odd uh, observation of mine is that I'm oddly invested in the best costume design category mm. for the first time in maybe ever, because like the only nominee there that I don't think is deserving is Oppenheimer, and I yeah. worry that Oppenheimer is just going to sweep through. But like poor things versus Barbie mm-hmm. versus Killers of the Flower Moon versus Napoleon. Like, yeah, those are all wild. Yeah. Costumes, dude. Come on. <laughs> Oppenheimer those are all has great a, costumes. Jeff Oppenheimer has a hat. <laughs> You're right. He does have a hat. It's a very, like a very co- iconic Let's not, hat. guys, let's not downplay the it's costume like, design of Oppenheimer. It's like, no, I'm making fun because there's literally, the there's literally a scene in that yes, movie where he, where he looks up. at the hat yeah. and the pipe yeah. and, the and the like pipe Batman. And... It's hilarious. I can't get it out of my by head. That, by that definition, Indiana Jones and the... Dial of Destiny <laughs> should have been nominated. I, I look. I agree that the order of difficulty is probably higher in the non Oppenheimer films, but I th- I'm sure a lot of work went into the Oppenheimer costume design as well. So I mean, I love, uh, dude. I think I kept going like, oh, dude, poor things is going to walk away with mm-hmm, costumes, and mm-hmm. I went, oh wait, Barbie. Oh wait, yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh my yeah. gosh, Napoleon. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really an intense category. Uh, yeah, Godzilla got some love. That's fun. Yes, Godzilla minus Godzilla one minus achievement one special one effects was nominated yeah. for best visual effects. Did you guys um, see the video yeah, of the visual yeah, yeah. effects team? Because there's only like 30 of them. Yeah. They were all sitting in a room when the nominees got announced, and there's a video of them just going bananas when they got. I just what a heartwarming thing. I, so I'm good. really rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, something that is a, like somewhat rare is the director of the movie is on the visual effects team. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, not, not, not since Stanley Kubrick, I think has that been the case. Um, so, uh, another situation where the, you know, the director might win for something that is not the best directing category. <laughs> uh, anyway, so overall I'd say like, aside from some really bizarre decisions, uh, most of these are like really good movies that were honored, right? I mm-hmm. think we all agree with that, right? There's very few yeah. things that were like, oh, that's outright that shouldn't have been nominated or anything like that. So, uh, do you guys yeah. have picks for the sort of big four? A big f- who? I mean, five? I have what I want, want, but I want. Why don't what's we, why don't we choose who we want, yeah. not who we think will win? How about that? Well, I think it's less interesting to pick who we want because I feel like we already did that. We already but. did do that, I guess. So, yeah. Really, I don't. I don't know that we did that for. I mean, I want. Anatomy of a Fall to win Absolutely. Best Picture. I think yeah. it's the best yeah. picture of the, of the year. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't I think I want we, my number one to win Best Picture of the Year as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's. I think what obvious. you think, I think it's more interesting to, to try to do what you think because I think it's, I think the, uh, I think some of these categories are not, I mean, I, I think Christopher Nolan has a good shot to win Best Director, but I think Best Actor, Best Actress are much harder to call. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Emma Stone for me is the front runner, but. I would love to see Lily Gladstone. What do you think? Killian Murphy? I think it might be Killian Murphy's time. That's that's what I think. I think it might be Killian Murphy's time. I thought he was one of the best things about that movie. I agree. Um, So I'm I'm guessing. I'm not going to say voting. I'm just going to say I'm guessing it's going to be Killian Murphy. Mm -hmm. Um, Does Robert Downey Jr. already have an Academy Award? uh, I don't think he does. uh, Let's see. Because if not, he definitely is getting one. Mm-hmm. Um, he has received nominations for three Academy Awards, but yeah, it does not look like he has won. This feels like that's that's yeah. A, he he was nominated for Chaplin, Tropic Thunder, oh and Oppenheimer. <laughs> has there is there 
ever been a thing that <laughs> describes how times have changed more than he got nominated <laughs> for an Academy Award for that part. For a Tropic part that Thunder. you couldn't even make today. Very likely. Crazy. Very likely. Um, uh, but yeah, who who would your best who would your choice be for best supporting actor? Uh, best actor supporting role. It's Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction. Robert Dan- uh, Robert De Niro for Killers. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Ryan Gosling for Barbie or Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. My pick would be Mark Ruffalo, but I don't uh, think he has a chance in hell. Mm-hmm. But you you don't yeah. think he has a chance in hell? No, I yeah, do not. I think I think you're probably right. Like if we had to choose, it would be Mark Ruffalo. But the winner is probably going to be Robert Downey Jr. Right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah. Uh, best performance by an actress. Annette Benning in Nyad, Lily Gladstone in Cleo's of Flower Moon, Sandra Huller in Anatomy of Fall, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, and Emma Stone in Poor Things. I think this is going to be between Emma and Lily Gladstone. Yeah. It very well I would love Lily to see Gladstone. Lily Gladstone. If yeah. she wins, I think that would be a wonderful thing, but I, I would give it to Sandra Huller. I think she's... Ab- 100% agreed, Jeff. 100% yeah. agreed. Um, best performance by an actress in a supporting role, that's Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple, America Ferrera in Barbie, Jodie Foster in Nyad, or Divine Joy Randolph. In the holdovers, hey, Divine Joy, Divine Rand- Joy Randolph. Randolph getting it. That's a. Gr- yeah. I, I loved her in that movie. I think yeah. she's she was so be, good. She's, I think she's probably gonna get it. Is my guess. That's I'd kinda, hope so. I think she's yeah. she's a lock for that one. Um, and then I guess the last thing. Let's just choose uh, who we think is gonna win Best Director. How about that? Uh, so the choices I are think. Jonathan Glazer for Zone of Interest. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things. For Nolan. Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese and Justine and Triet. Justine Triet for an enemy fault. We obviously want it to be Justine Triet, but I think it's Christopher Nolan's year, guys. This is I agree. He has never I won agree. Best Director. This is a guy who has <laughs> really helped to support the film industry uh, and keep theatrical film going alive. And he he deserves to be honored for it. Um, so I think it's Christopher Nolan's year. Davindra, any uh, I think that logic makes sense. Um, no, um, yeah. I think it totally works. I would love to see Justine Triad get some love there, though. That yeah, is a good spot for her. That would be that such a well-constructed movie. That would be amazing incredible. if that happened. It would yeah. be unbelievable, but yeah. I think it's um, very, very unlikely. I think I also think Yorgos Lanthimos is very deserving. I, I, yeah. That movie, from a directing point of view, that movie is astounding. Well, anyway, those are the 96th Academy Award nominations. Uh, and yeah, a lot of good movies there. Definitely check them out. Definitely check out Anatomy of a Fall. That should yeah. be the takeaway from this is check out Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, and Which I think is on video on demand now, yeah? Yeah, it's on video. You mm-hmm. can rent rent or or buy it. Uh, I'm holding out hope for a 4K. You know, I don't know if we're going to get it, but I would love to get you a really 4K. really want to see the pixels on that snow. Yeah. Absolutely. All <laughs> the snow. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, those are the Oscar nominations, and that is some film news for you. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more and what we've been watching right after this. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Let's get to what we've been watching. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? I checked out uh, the film Book of Clarence uh, in the movie theater. Uh, nice. This was... Yeah, this was recommended to me uh, by our friend, friend of the show, Danish Syed. He sent me a, a text that said, you have to go see this. I don't think this is a perfect movie. I think this is a very flawed movie, but I think you'll be glad you saw it. To which I would respond, exactly. I, I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree with this. Um, this is uh, James Samuel's um, film written and directed uh, I believe I pronounced that correctly. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's but, James uh, Samuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, starring Lakeith Stanfield, who is amazing. Lakeith Stanfield is a friggin' movie star. And the reason I say that is because you could just put the camera on him in a close-up mm-hmm. and walk away for a half an hour and we'll still be staring at his face. I think that, to me, is the definition of a movie star. And there's a lot of like extreme close-up on Lakeith Stanfield in this movie and you're just like enveloped in his essence. Uh, anyway, very difficult movie to describe, Book of Clarence. Very difficult movie, I think. Uh, I would say my biggest problem with Book of Clarence is that it is, it really is very ambitious, and I think it, it wants to be too many things at once, in my opinion. I think if it was more focused... Um, on being one thing and having one theme, it would have worked more for me. This is. <laughs> it's kind of it, a biblical epic, right? Or like it's a, a spin biblical on that. epic that yeah. is at times a parody, at times very dark and serious and overt, at times, uh, you know, just like action packed, at times. Um, kind of mystical and, and fantastical. Uh, it is lots of different things all at once. And I would almost describe the first third or two thirds as being <laughs> something along the lines of like the, the tropes of like an, a late nineties, gang movie, like, like a, like a, um, um, uh, new Jack city or, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's that, but set in biblical times. Uh, it's very odd because it, it has these very um, sort of defined tropes of the guy who sells drugs, but is in love with a girl. And so she wants he wants to prove to her that he can be more than what he is and needs to reform his life and prove that he can do something. But it's set in biblical times. <laughs> which and, and I mean, Jesus literally is right there, right? Like Jesus is like, Jesus a thing. is in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard to even describe this film. It's so wild because it starts like that. And it starts as almost like this parody, almost like a life of Brian type subverting mm-hmm. religion. But by the end, it, it almost kind of comes out as very pro religion. And I mean, it's, it's about, so many things. I mean, it's about white supremacy at a certain point. It's about, I mean, very much about religion, a, a sort of just a love story, but also about, uh, you know, these big heady topics as well. It's, it, it, I think it's trying to do too much, but it is a fascinating, fascinating movie. So ambitious, so bizarre. Uh, 
I, I came out really appreciating the movie more than liking it. I, I honestly would love to have a spoiler conversation with yeah. you guys about it because it is so different and so um, bold in so many ways. Like it doesn't care who it offends. And, and by the end, it gets to some really dark, interesting places. And then it has this like very broad joke at the end. I mean, it's it really is vacillating between these these kind of goofy tones and it's got very anachronistic stuff people talk anachronistically it's got anachronistic music it's got a full dance number in the middle of it it's 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 a really wild movie and one i really appreciated i just don't think it coalesces mm. and focuses mm -hmm. into something that i could grab onto like I, I i came home and started texting danish about it and we were both like yeah, well, what did that mean? And what is it, what is it trying to say about this? And did that really work? Not really, but both of us kind of admired it. And I think it's, um, it's really unusual. I think it's really bold. It's really, uh, you know, I feel like it's a movie you're going to really love, uh, um, to because you love movies that take big swings. Mm -hmm. It's this movie sounds like a meal. You know, and it I really love, love a big it swing. Really is. I love a big yeah. meal. And I also love James Samuel's last movie, The Harder They Fall. I forget if you saw that one, Jeff, but yeah, he is yeah, he's just so like he's a he's clearly like a well-formed filmmaker, even though he's just getting started. I know he's also a music artist. So like he has like just a lot of great creative ideas. I cannot wait to see this. I'll be seeing it soon, hopefully. All right. Well, that's Book of Clarence. And it is one thing that Jeff Kanata has been watching. Uh, let's talk about something I've been watching this week. I as I mentioned, went to Sundance and there's, there's three movies I want to talk about today that kind of summarize the Sundance experience for me. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about all the movies. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, I've, I, I will write and make videos and talk about all the other movies at other places and possibly in the after dark as well. But like for today, I just want to keep it very focused to three movies. Uh, so I went to go see this movie called Didi, which is very good. I'm not going to talk about that today. I will talk about it at a later point. Um, and I got invited to the after party uh, for Didi. So I, I rush over to the after party for Didi. And that's what a lot of my Sundance experience was, just like running from place to place and trying to get into things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I get to the after Parties party for Didi. mostly. I get to the after party and there's literally like 200 people outside waiting to get in. And... I just thought, um, hey, I really appreciate, you know, I said to the person who invited me, like, really appreciate the invite, but uh, I'm not going to stay here for like yeah. an hour. Sorry, I'm here to see movies. <laughs> uh, excuse me? <laughs> I can't stay here. You know, I, I really wanted to get in. Um, yeah, yeah. On the way, so, but I'm like, I, I'm going to try to catch one more movie tonight. Okay. On the way out, by the way, I bumped into Joan Chen, uh, who was in the movie Didi, and I got Amazing. to tell her, I got to tell her she's awesome. And so that was awesome. Okay. Uh, but I was like, okay, like, let's try to see this one movie. And it, it it's part of their Midnight's program. Now, uh, Eric D. Snyder tweeted this, who I I got to hang out with a little bit, and that was fun. Uh, but he said, the, the biggest sign that Sundance is 40 is the fact that their Midnight movies screen at 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. They have, this, yeah. they have this Midnight program, and it's like horror movies and genre things, and but none of them screen at midnight anymore. They're all at like 10 or 11 p.m., which I'm very grateful for. This is the way um, to live, yes. So there is this, pro, this, this movie called It's What's Inside that was screening as part of their Midnight program. It was 11 p.m. And so I said, hey, good, goodbye to the DD party. Would have really loved to meet the director, but I'm going to try to catch this one movie. Okay. So I get to the movie 15 minutes before it begins, uh, which is not good. 
Like you, you were supposed to get there like 30, 45 minutes. I'm one of the last people to be let into the movie. I have a seat like in the third to front row all the way to the side, <laughs> right? For this movie called It's What's Inside that, again, no one has ever heard of, no one has ever seen before. Here is the premise that is the, in, in the thing, which I, I, I will guarantee you does not even give away what the main thing that happens in the movie is. Eight friends are in a pre-wedding party and an, an estranged friend shows up to the party carrying a mysterious suitcase. That is what is written in the Sundance program, right? And that's all, that's all I will say about the plot today. Um, mm -hmm. And the director afterwards says, please do not reveal more than what is in the program about the plot. <laughs> I don't think that's going to, like, I don't think that's going to hold. I think it's like people will uh -huh, eventually uh -huh. find out what happens. Because people but, are assholes. <laughs> but this, in my opinion, this movie is the story of Sundance this year. You know, it's like, remember when like Brick debuted or Memento or like Get yeah. Out? Like these movies that debuted at Sundance and then like became a huge story. I don't know that people are going to love this movie, uh, but this is, this is like a movie that shows this director is going to be a big deal one day, in my opinion. Uh, it's what's inside is one of the most creative movies I've ever seen. It, it, it's just so many things in this movie were, were genius. I was just like, that is incredible. I've never seen anything like it. And the execution is incredible. Uh, when does it, all, is it, is it been picked up? Is it coming out? Do we know anything well, about shortly that? Shortly after uh, I saw the movie at the world premiere, it was acquired by Netflix for $17 million, mm -hmm. so uh, which is on a, Netflix. a huge purchase. Like that's the person a huge who made price. that decision probably was in that screening with you. Like this all probably yeah, I know. happened. It's, it's like, amazing. Quickly. And yeah. And here's the thing. Um, I am bummed that that movie is probably not going to get a big theatrical release mm. um, because it's going to be on Netflix. However, for Order the filmmakers, of magnitude, more people will probably see it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, but here's the thing, Jeff, it is such a good movie to watch with a crowd. Like I can't, anyway, here are movies that it reminds me of. Okay. Um, the biggest one, the closest one is talk to me. Uh, the mm. horror film from last year. Like this is going to be this year's talk to me, I think. Um, it, it's kind of like talk to me in terms of like the premise, but also uh, the tone of bodies, 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 you know, like people just bouncing two off each movies other. that made my top tens of the years, the last two I, years, uh, Jeff, you are going to freaking, Oh, also uh, beyond the infinite two minutes. Remember that movie? Oh like, yeah. Also made like, my oh, top 10 of the last this year. Is a, this is a simple premise that we're going to like explore. It's like all those movies. And uh, Cannot wait. it's, it's my favorite movie of the festival so far. Um, it's called it's what's inside. It's going to be a big deal. My guess is it'll be out on Netflix uh, this year. Like probably at the end of the year. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah I think that's what happened with Fair Play, right? Like Fair Play got picked yeah. up at Sundance and then it came out in like the fall. So I think yeah. this will probably follow a similar schedule. Fair Play um, was like a big awards pitch too. So I don't know mm. how this fits. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to I, I I had the same thought was like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to fit, but um, uh, the thing is, it's a good financial decision. There's no, there's no big stars in this movie. Like, there's no the oh, the biggest star I want, or one of the most recognizable stars is like Brittany O'Grady, you know. But like, it's not a movie that I think would do well in theaters. But it's a movie that, if you watch it with other people, is a blast. And I will say, it is going to screen at South by Southwest apparently. So, um, and probably will be playing at other festivals. So you will have the chance to watch it in the theater, and I recommend you try it. Um, I know this is really vague because I, I I don't want to reveal what happens in the movie, but it's no, awesome. That's good. That's it's good. awesome, and um, yeah, it it was really special to be there 
for the first time it was seen by, I, I felt like that's I was cool. seeing a genius being discovered. You know what I mean? Wow. Like that's, that's how I felt. So anyway, that's, it's what's inside. It's one of the things I've been watching in Sundance. Devendra, you had a chance to watch something from Sundance as well, right? Sure. Yeah. I saw Eternal You, which is a Sundance documentary uh, by Hans Block and Moritz uh, Reisewijk. And this is about the trend that's happening of companies building um, AI avatars or AI personalities of your dead loved ones. And that's what the entire thing is about. Um, and it's kind of fascinating. It's kind of creepy because we've seen so many things blow up lately. You know, we've seen the rise of ChatGPT and all of OpenAI stuff. Uh, everybody's kind of excited about what could be possible with large language models. And at the same time, um, you know, we see how the entertainment industry is dealing with it. But this is a really interesting look because I feel like for tech and for people, I mean, this is such a human thing. You know, we are so worried about what happens after we die you know, or trying to achieve some sort of immortality, or at least trying to talk to our loved ones who we can't talk to anymore to get some sense of closure. Um, this is a really interesting documentary because there are companies already working on this. There are companies that will let you build a chatbot of your dead loved one based on, you know, information that you submit and information it crawls. And people are doing this, um, both for personal reasons, but also like, I think for really wrong reasons too. like some people, people are just asking it like, so what is life like on the other side? You know, what is it like to be dead? That's not, that's not what's happening, right? <laughs> yeah. what's, it's it a computer no information to give you a construct yeah. Yeah. of the personalities of your, of your loved one. And maybe you can have some sort of meaningful conversation, but it is sort of like constructing an imaginary friend, you know, that you were conversing with, but it only knows what you know. It only, you know, it only knows the information you're putting in. It, it's not your loved one on another plane of existence or something. So I don't know. There are a bunch of these companies. I'm really worried about this trend. And uh, this movie kind of follows a bunch of uh, several different things. Uh, there's also a company doing like um, VR avatars of your dev dead loved ones as well. And it goes into, into how like that company is trying to like, they basically treat it like a TV show. Like, okay, this person lost their child, right? And they really want to connect. They really want to have like good final words. So they build the model. They kind of build how this thing reacts. And I just find it kind of terrifying and kind of, I don't know, kind of sad as well too, because to me, I'm not a, not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist, but I don't feel like this is necessarily, necessarily the best way to deal with extreme grief. Uh, or at least I don't know what people can end up doing with it, but AI and large language model technology, like it allows this stuff to happen and companies are just ready to capitalize on it. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm just feeling terrified about this prospect. Like AI is, we're worrying about it in so many different things, but now people just want to, it almost feels like they're capitalizing on people's grief. And I'm mm. always worried about that death capitalism mm. industry. And yeah. yeah, it just seems like this is clearly an example of that. Did you get to check this one out, Dave? No, but uh, it mm -hmm. is available online. So I may check it out in the online portion mm -hmm. of Sundance. Um, and by the way, I should point out, there's dozens of Sundance movies available You can online. get tickets, yes. You can get tickets. You purchase, go and purchase a ticket. Watch it on an app on your on your TV. It's like a great experience. At least mm -hmm. it was last year. I can't vouch for it this year. But I'm planning to watch like probably another 10 movies this next mm -hmm. weekend. Uh, and I'd recommend people do that as well. Let me ask you guys a personal question. Um, you know, putting aside the commerce elements of it, would you guys ever consider using a AI avatar to cope with the death of a loved one? No. Uh, no? Specifically. <laughs> I think I might. Yeah. I don't I think, know if it would I be think... about coping necessarily. Well, that's, I think it would yeah. be a more of an experiment and a, I don't know. I don't know. I think mm -hmm. I, I could, 
I can see that. And it's weird that there's a part of me that would want my kids to be able to do it. Like mm-hmm. I, I think the the well, they, first volume. Of, fortunately, they have a whole corpus of. Well, that's podcasts. what I was just going to say. The volume yeah, of data right. available right. for me to my kids is a lot different than my father to myself. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I, in a way, I would be like, if, if that helped them, I would totally want them to do it. That said, I don't know how far away, like you said, setting the commerce aside. Yeah. Which is a big deal to set the mm-hmm. commerce aside. Right. Because mm-hmm. I don't know how yeah. far away from visiting a medium this is, which is something that. Yes, absolutely. That angers me, like, f- mm-hmm. infuriates me. Like the, the idea that those people exist makes me viscerally angry. I I think that they should be uh you know imprisoned. Punished. <laughs> the criminals. But, but I think as long as you're being upfront about what this is, you know Right. It's a little which, different. Which by the and way people are very bad at doing right now. You know, like mm-hmm. people are not well, good at being upfront that, about what it. What Davindra said it, that people are yeah. asking what's on like on the other side right. is yeah. proof of that. I, th- yeah. I think even I if the companies are upfront, like people will use it in their own ways too. Like you right. can't really control right. user behavior but, sometimes. But it's so, like this is like yeah. auto. This is like a really sophisticated autocomplete based off yes. of your loved one's personality. Yes. You know, is what it is, right? So and it's, I, uh, um, it, it, it's infuriating to see like the documentary covers some of the founders and some of the people working at these companies. Like one of them is just like straight up like a libertarian tech bro. It was like, Hey mm-hmm. man, I'm just making this thing and I don't know what's going to happen. It's really up to the people. And I'm just like, you, you freaking scum of the earth. Like, you, you know, people just want to talk to the people they love and you don't, you mm-hmm. have no responsibility about what yeah. happens or if your AI goes off the rails. Like one, one thing was like, uh, somebody was talking with their loved one and they were like, what's it like in heaven? And I was like, I'm not there. I'm in hell. That's oh, great. that's rough. <laughs> yeah, don't love Chat that. ChatGPT, yeah. no. Don't love that. No. Anyway, uh, but 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 here's like the other side, mm-hmm. and maybe this is Pollyanna of me. Mm-hmm. But if there is some situation where I am not around, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I and my kid needs some advice. And there was something I said on a podcast at one time that no one would be able to find except this AI program has been trained on it mm-hmm. and it plucks mm-hmm. out this little bit, tidbit of advice that helps my kid get through the day when I'm not around. Like, that's beautiful. And that yeah. is something that technology could allow. And I don't know, I, I imagine that kind of thing would mm-hmm. be useful and beautiful and heartwarming and I, I so yes is there a dark side <laughs> absolutely but i i don't not necessarily feel i, I can't it's kind of a baby with the bathwater thing for me i don't know and that's it's almost nice, like it, that, that's a nice thought jeff but that implies that your son is not going to listen to all 600 hours of podcast <laughs> that you've done with it, which is like uh, what wouldn't that be the first thing he does once he gets his own, you know, iPhone or whatever, you know? Like that's yeah, our kids he's gonna don't want to he's gonna run to, the, <laughs> run to that podcast app and Jack, download yeah. if you're listening, <laughs> clean your room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Davinder, you had one of the one of the things to say about this? Uh, I mean, listen, it's uh, I, I think it's a fascinating documentary. It's just fascinating to see like how quickly a lot of these companies have spun up and have, you know, gained billion or uh, not millions at least one has hundreds of millions in funding from vcs and it's this whole, also this whole silicon valley thing of like never wanting to die or wanting to cheat death in a way and um you know 
people are talking about AGI and artificial general intelligence and what that could mean to you. And all this stuff is kind of related. So it is funny how like this movie does kind of get to the mystical side of AI and kind of, kind of what we're expecting from it. Like we're expecting some sort of magic. We're expecting it to give us some sort of like deep metaphysical connection with people who don't exist anymore because it can get us answers that sound like them. So, Hey, it seems like we are we are in for a mess as a society with all of this AI stuff. And this movie is just like another example of how that's going to it's going to be kind of a mess. Like, that's really all I can say. And uh, I think the movie is worth watching. That's Eternal You. I don't think it has distribution yet, but this this feels like a Netflix thing or something that'll pop up on the streamer soon. Yeah. And it will be available in the Sundance online portion, which is where I plan to watch it. Let's take another break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more and what we've been watching right after this. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Jeff Kanata, hit us up with something else we've been watching. We've talked, uh, we talked a little bit on the After Dark about uh, New Year's resolutions. And I said, I don't, I don't really make New Year's resolutions. And mm-hmm. here I am telling you that I, I kind of decided that this year I'm gonna I'm gonna do a better job at trying to watch more anime. Wow. I am just hey. not a, yeah, I, I'm not an anime yeah. guy. I, I have not been, I, you know, I've I've watched a fair amount, but I'm just not drawn to it. But I hear mm-hmm. people like Devendra and others of my friends uh, speak so highly of, of some anime. I, I, I decided this year I'm going to try to be a little you better. Find the right at, thing, Jeff. Like I can I can get you stuff that will really make you happy. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I so I'm gonna I'm gonna do better to try to 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 weave some more anime into my watching menu. Uh, speaking of menus, uh, the, one of the first. See what I did there, Dave? That's, I can't believe you're the one style. bringing up the show too, Jeff. So go go for it. <laughs> I decided to check out Delicious in Dungeon, which is an anime that is on Netflix uh, at the moment. And uh, I, this is a, uh, a, a delightfully weird uh, notion. Uh, it's structured very much like a video game, actually, like a roguelike video game mm-hmm. where uh, the, the characters are delving into a dungeon and they can go deeper and deeper into the dungeon. And every time they die they start back up at the top of the dungeon and go back. I mean, it is like straight up a video game, very D and D tropes. You know, it's a, it's a fighter, a rogue and a healer. You know, it's the, the Holy Trinity of, of D and D classes um, that start this show. And they're basically the, the, what happens before the show starts is they have been deep in the dungeon with the, one of the characters sisters who gets eaten by a dragon. And then they all die, and they're all at the back at the top of the uh, of the uh, dungeon. Well, it turns out this particular dragon uh, digests very slowly. We're told, 
And so they have an opportunity to rescue her before she is digested. All they have to do is get back to that point in the dungeon, uh, which is very deep, which is not easy to do. So they start going and then they run into another character. And it turns out this character and the brother of the lost uh, digesting girl is um, they're really into eating monsters. Uh, they're like super, super into like, like it's a fetish, like it's a, it's a compulsion. It's a weird that they pitch just, for a show. Yeah. They want to taste the forbidden, which is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these diabolical fantasy monsters that are at the various levels of this dungeon. So the show transforms into this goofy hybrid of a swashbuckling adventure fantasy Dungeons and Dragons type thing and a cooking show. It it literally will take a, a complete 180 turn away from what we're doing to explain to you in detail how these creatures are prepared <laughs> all the things you want to do to them how you have to harvest them their various body parts what you do like super detail like a cooking show not like oh we're going to cook the thing now no it's super close up images of all the preparation like what you do and it's all nonsense it's all made up fantasy stuff you know it's it's all mythological creatures but it's so fun the the level of commitment to the bit, you know, the level of imagination that they've gone through thinking about like, okay, well, if this was actual food, how would you prepare it? What would it take? How would you make, what, what kind of effects would it have on the body? What would you want to add to it to enrich the taste? It's so detailed. It's so thought through that you have, you know, the mon- mushroom monsters and it's like, well, you pop their legs off, you know, you, you have to slice them in a certain way and there's organs stuck in it and it'll have like diagrams of where their organs are. And, and it's all like, you know, anybody who's played a fantasy role-playing game on, on the computer or, or, you know, you know, on, on the tabletop, you've run across all these mythological creatures, you know, all the time. You rarely think about their anatomy, their, like it, the the level of, okay, let's take this completely seriously and analyze it like it was, you know, fine dining, like it's, like it's, you know, you're watching a, um, you know, a show about preparing the perfect chicken or something, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, there are a bunch of animations about that, Jeff, about like just food preparation. I watched one that was about bread, just bread preparation. So like there was such a unique subsection of food anime yeah. stuff. Like this seemed inevitable that they would go and just be like, okay, fantasy, fantasy cooking. Sure. Whatever. Sounds it, cool. I I find it oddly compelling because it is, you know, a lot of anime rides that line between the goofy and the serious, right? The the kind of wacky characters and wacky situations, but also it you know deals with really intense themes and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of what a lot of people like about anime. And I I like that this show does it in a in a very particular way. And I, I've I think there's only as of our recording right now, there's only three episodes out. The mm-hmm. fourth ep- episode comes out uh, after tomorrow. Um, 
but I'm in. I'm going to watch this whole series. I I love it. I, I find it so fun, and I love the you know the sort of Ren and Stimpy close up is a is a matte painting. You know that that aesthetic thing. They do that a lot, where like they'll show the food and it'll cut to a completely different art style to show it in this very delicious form. It's and but the characters are wacky and the situation. There's still adventure and they're still fun. So I, I'm a big fan. I'm into it. Delicious in Dungeon on Netflix. Wow, you know, Jeff, I'm really impressed that you're kind of venturing outside your own comfort zone, you know, to try to expand your horizons. That's nice. That's nice. That's so, good. Thank you. Good stuff. Delicious in Dungeon is the name on Netflix. All right. Uh, I will talk about a movie called Sasquatch Sunset. Now, did you guys hear anything about this movie by any chance? I've heard about this movie, so please. Yeah. Um, so Sasquatch Sunset is a movie by the Zellner Brothers. Have you seen anything by the Zellner Brothers? Uh, these are the people who did... Uh, they did the, um, movie, uh, Kumiko, the treasure hunter. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, kid thing. Um, anyway, so Kumiko was so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I don't think so. So Sasquatch sunset. Here's the, here's the movie. It's four Sasquatches (laughs) making their way through the wilderness during the course of a year. That's the movie. I Sasquatches I hate are to real. Break this to you, I think you may have just watched a Geico ad. <laughs> two hours. Uh, so Jesse Eisenberg and Riley Keough play two of the four Sasquatches. I did hear about this. I heard and they went to Sasquatch school to find out how to move like a Sasquatch. <laughs> they and, and there is a lot of eating and pissing and shitting and fucking. Um, as you know, it'd be what Sasquatches would do. And at Sundance, they have these things called press and industry screenings. So like all the press screenings for the press people and industry people are held in a separate theater than the public screenings. And it's generally accepted when you go to one of these screenings that you can leave in the middle. Like oftentimes the person who is like bidding on the movie is in the theater and they're like, I gotta go, but you know, put in a $12 million bid on this movie or whatever, you know, Sasquatch pitch. Bye. Bye. Sasquatch. I'm long on Sasquatch. Um, I will. So, so I'm trying to tell you that like, you know, it's a normal, think of it like you're at a Cinemark in a normal size theater and that's Mm -hmm. where all the critics are. And you know, people leave during the course of the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a normal occurrence. Uh, listener, let me tell you, I have never seen more people leave during a press and industry screening than in Sasquatch Sunset. <laughs> I'm going to say... In uh, a good way? I'm going to say all bidding on it? <laughs> <laughs> they're, all really, they're all rushing to say bye, bye, bye. Um, I'm going to say something on the order of like anywhere between 30 and 50 people left this screening in the middle of the... Like 20 to 30 minutes into the screening. Uh, and look, there's many reasons why that might have happened. The biggest reason is I think you get 20 minutes into this movie and you're like... I think I understand what this movie's trying to do. <laughs> and so they're like, I don't need to stay for the rest of the movie. I'm not picking up what these Sasquatches are putting down. <laughs> and by the way, like, I think for the most part, those people are correct. You know, like, there's not that many surprises. Real big twist um, at the end with the Sasquatches. Y- yeah, not, not really. I don't think. They're um, in modern times. Whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we'll see. Anyway, uh, TBD, what times they're in. Uh, the other thing is, <laughs> the other thing is, um, uh, the movie's like pretty gross, you know, like you, you have, uh, like I said, all the bodily functions graphically depicted, except it's Sasquatch is doing them. But, you know, Jeff, I think you would appreciate this movie because um, the commitment to the performance is extremely high. You know, like 
Is, are they, is it um, uh, motion capture or are they in suits? They're in suits. Yeah. So, so they're, they're dressed as Sasquatches. <laughs> they're behaving. They're, there's no, no dialogue in the movie. They're just right. communicating. They're <laughs> making Sasquatch noises. Love it. That's, that's the whole movie. And they need to like eat shit that grows on the, you know, like eat shit in yeah. the forest and like do all this other stuff and like eat stuff that grows on trees. And you know, like, is it just eat- a hangout movie or is there a plot? You kind of see the difficulties they have in moving through the forest and right. and how fragile nature is. But I, I think the movie mm-hmm. also invites you to see the humanity of Sasquatches, right? To be like, sure. we're, we're yeah. not so different. Sasquatch All too overlooked, I. the Sasquatch right. humanity. Exactly, exactly. Gotcha. And, and, and to that degree, I think it's actually quite effective. So I Ooh, actually like the scene, but it, it's one of the big kind of buzzy things that came out of Sundance. And there was also, I think there was a lot of walkouts at the premiere too, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure about that. Um, but it was kind of one of those things where you, you kind of had to be there uh, to, to see like the reaction to Sasquatch sunset at Sundance. Mm-hmm. So anyway. I mean, the, the part of it too is like, you're talking about the pithy uh, descriptions of these movies. You don't want to sit there for two hours for a movie you think you're going to hate, right? Because that's your brain right. time. You could go yeah. watch another movie. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's the game. You know, so, and that, yeah. that's the thing. Like, let me tell you guys, there is a um, something called an express pass for the final half of Sundance, right? So the idea is you get into anything you want, right? That pass for five days, and any guesses as to how much that getting into five days of a film festival, any guesses as to how much that would cost? Five thousand uh, dollars. Okay, yeah, very close. Four thousand dollars. So you're yeah. let's say you see at, you can see at most six movies a day. That's that's even pushing it. Probably yeah. five movies a day is most you can see. So Do you get to like push people out of the line saying Express Pass coming through. I paid four thousand dollars for this. I mean, that's literally what does happen, uh, except for the part <laughs> where they say they paid four thousand uh, dollars. But yeah, they get they get in first. Uh, but that's like what amazing like twenty five thirty movies for four thousand dollars. It's just like ooh, that's the, you know that's tough to justify. Um, but yeah, you're right, Devendra. Like let. That's also a lot of money to pay for even one movie that you don't like. Yes. yes. You know, so it's like, just, if you don't like it, just get out of there. Just get out of there. All right. Uh, Devinder Hardwar, hit us up with something else you've been watching. Uh, you know, I want to do something a little different. And uh, as you're you're talking about like highfalutin Sundance films, Dave, uh, uh, Jeff, you're getting into anime. I want to talk about <laughs> something that I've been watching way too much of lately. That is Blaze and the Monster Machines. Jeff, are you aware of this show? I am aware. I am not a viewer, but uh, should I be? Uh, I, I will say no. And in, in fact, uh, try <laughs> to keep your kids away if, if you can. Uh, I don't know. This is a new section, Kid Corner. But occasionally we like to talk about kids shows. And all of a sudden, my my daughter, uh, you know, she's just going from show to show. And honestly, weirdly, it's probably the Paramount app, which has a whole bunch of kids shows. It has Peppa, Peppa has Dora. Yeah. It has like a whole bunch of things all at once and Paw Patrol. So she she just kind of sees other things she goes to. And I try to like ha- maintain a strict fence of like, okay, we're just, we're watching this. We know what this show is. You can watch this. Um, sometimes my, my daughter has learned she could just tap the iPad now, you know, like she, she can explore and do stuff on her own. So she has found Blaze and the Monster Machines. This is um, ostensibly a STEM related show this is a you know it teaches you like science tech engineering uh, the concepts it's about anthropomorphic monster machines living in a world which also happens to have like a couple kids in it for some for some reason uh they're also like uh animals that can become vehicles um this is one of those like cars universe things where you don't want to think too much about the the structure of this world or why anything matters but i just wanted to say 
This show is also a prime example of how you do a supposedly good kids show badly because it is a STEM show. It is something it teaches about things like propulsion and like how things move and how to make a lever and things like that. Oh, cool concepts for kids. Um, The problem is it is so badly written when it comes to just like the dynamics of like good and bad, right? It's so focused on STEM concepts. Um, It creates this character named Blaze who I think is an absolute monster because in this show, <laughs> machine. he's a monster machine. Uh, he's the good guy. He's actually uh, voiced by a famous uh, game actor, uh, Nolan North. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. His voice is blaze. So I, I felt like I recognized that voice. Blaze can never lose guys. Blaze <laughs> has this thing called uh blaze speed or something like that. It's mm-hmm. a special power that gives as you do, speed. as you do, yeah. as you do. There's another <laughs> monster named crusher. Who's always the bad guy. Always a villain, always building devices to cheat during races and other missions and things like that. Rusher, Crusher gets punished for building things to go faster. Blaze inherently has the power to go faster. Nobody else does, but Blaze does. <laughs> Blaze always wins. Yeah. What mm. is this teaching kids? I don't. I'm actually, I watched a couple episodes with my daughter and I'm just like, this, nothing about this makes sense. You can't just shove stem into something. <laughs> And then have like no concept of like the actual, I don't know, storytelling of right and wrong. So I was looking up stories about this. People on Reddit are saying their kids are now like obsessed with only winning. Like they oh, become man. monsters. They, they because call Blaze movie, only wins. They should call this movie Blaze and the Fountainhead. More like <laughs> Blaze and the Fountainhead. Yeah, basically. Blaze and the Fountainhead. I don't know. But uh, this is one of those things where it's like you think you think it's like, oh, this is educational, right? They put STEM yeah. in the description. People talk about it. It has decent ratings on like common sense media and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's teaching kids that you can never lose, right? Like that's basically yeah. it. If you're the good guy, you can never lose. And there's no like nuance to characters or your dynamics, and somebody's always bad. Um, I just want to say. I think this is bullshit. I think bullshit <laughs> to Blaze and the Monster Machines. That's I call my shenanigans reading. on Blaze. On Blaze. This is kind of the, uh, uh, the, the, the Lex Luthor was right idea. Pretty much. Like, mm, Crusher's yeah. just trying to win. Because <laughs> Blaze always wins. To do. Superman has, can do <laughs> everything. <laughs> what? Come on. Come on. Um, anyway, that's Blaze and the Monster Machines. Don't watch it. How did you right. how did you watch it, Devinder? Where it's is on, it? It's on Paramount, uh, the right. one where you can also find Showtime. Jeff Kanata, <laughs> the one where you can also find Showtime. Rose tripping. <laughs> Jeff, can we save these other items for the after hour? Because we are running a bit long today. Uh, uh sure. What do you think? Uh, okay, cool. Uh well, yeah, in that case, that is what we've been watching this week. Uh and yeah, we are we're running a little long, so a couple items we had for what we've been watching, we'll put the after arc. But anyway, let's get to some weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, I want to throw out a shout out to decodingeverything.com. Uh, this week I did a diary and wrote about all my experiences at Sundance. Uh, and uh, you can find all that at my free newsletter, decodingeverything.com. I wrote about pretty much every single movie I saw. And uh, I'm, I'm sharing just the highlights here on the filmcast, like the, the most notable biggest stories. But there's some minor stories on there as well that are worth checking out. So decodingeverything.com is where you can read all about it. Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug. I want to shout out, uh, I did a review at Engadget.com about the framework Laptop 16. And people have talked to me about this thing. This is a modular laptop. You can replace 
pretty much every single component in it. Uh, eventually, you could replace the video card or even the CPU. It's a really cool thing. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's actually very good as a gaming machine. It's a little too slow, and it's very expensive for what you get. But I know a lot of people. I know a lot of computer nerds who want to just like tweak things and keep a computer for maybe 10 years or something. So if you're one of those people, this could be the computer for you. Go check out my review. All right, Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. If you are looking for a pick-me-up, a gift, just something to brighten your day, think about a limerick. A limerick, I write them for you, uh, available for purchase at Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. Not only do I write them, I also perform them. They are delivered by video to you or your loved one. Uh, Check out 150-plus five-star reviews at Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. Happy customers who've gotten bespoke limericks written just for them. Check it out. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. And Patreon.com slash Film Podcast is where you can support this podcast. Sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Join over 3,000 other listeners who are getting a lot of cool updates over there at Patreon.com slash Film Podcast. And of course, we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. You can always support us for free. By leaving a star rating for us on Apple Podcasts or uh, or recommending the show to a friend. You know, guys, I want to tell you a quick story. I bonded with my seatmate coming home from Sundance. Uh, you know, we're kind of like, hey, what, what, what are you doing? Oh, I'm skiing. Oh, I'm going to Sundance. Oh, you're into movies? And I told him I have a movie podcast. And um, he literally downloaded the podcast. Aww. Right there, and listen to love. it on the flight. Dave, we got to so, get you on more flights, baby. Yeah, so we have a new listener who might actually be listening to this. I didn't tell him I would talk about this, so you know I'm not going to reveal. Oh, uh, he the hasn't gotten this name. far. Uh, he downloaded our top ten episode. He thought that was great, um, and uh, he asked me if I read podcast reviews and I said, no, I don't, it's too stressful. And he said, you know, this is, there's a, there's a maxim in customer service uh, that for every 10 people who like what you're doing, one of them will tell you that they like it. Uh, and for every one person that this pretty low, <laughs> absolutely. And for every one person that dislikes what you do, they will tell 10 people that they don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that's very, very accurate. And actually, like, I posted about this on threads yesterday. And some people responded to me. Said, they said, yeah, like, my parents used to work in a restaurant. And they re- they would feel bad about asking people for positive reviews. But then they realized that that maxim is true. Like, one angry person will, like, leave, like, multiple terrible reviews. Whereas, like, if they're positive, no one will say a thing. Yeah. So that's my way yeah. of saying, um, please don't use free- Yelp. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my way of saying, please, for the love of God, leave a review for us because a tiny, <laughs> tiny fraction of people who enjoy the podcast actually leave a review. All right. Yeah. Anyway, well done. Anyway, let's get to our review of Ferrari. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. The corner races at you. You have perhaps a crisis of identity. Am I a sportsman? Or a competitor? 
get into one of my cars. You get in the wind. Welcome to the film cast review of Michael Mann's Ferrari. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Set in the summer of 1957. With Enzo Ferrari's auto empire in crisis, the ex-racer turned entrepreneur pushes himself and his drivers to the edge as they launch into the Mille Miglia, a treacherous 1,000-mile race across Italy. Uh, so we are reviewing this movie on the day that this movie is out on video on demand. It was in theaters for a few weeks. Uh, we are so smart. Now... We timed this perfectly. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's completely <laughs> intentional yes. to time it so that this uh, came out at the right time. Uh, and not only that, we have a veritable expert on all things Michael Mann to join us for this conversation. He is the producer and host of One Heat Minute Productions, which podcasts about Michael Mann movies minute by minute. Blake Howard, welcome back to the Filmcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, lads. It's great to be back. I mean, last time we spoke about an awful Batman movie, and this time <laughs> you've brought me back to talk about my favorite movie of last year, which I want to say thank you. I'm genuinely thrilled. And wow. uh, kind of a Batman movie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, strong words uh, about your favorite movie. Uh, this is Michael Mann's first film since 2015's Black Hat, I want to say. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and obviously, I, I'm just going to say, look, Blake, I know we disagree on this. I'm going to say I think he's had a little bit of a mixed track record. You know, on the one hand, he's made some of the greatest films of all time. And on the other hand, he made Black Hat, you know? And so, you know... Out now, Dave. in a 4K re-release with the director's <laughs> cut, maybe. I would just say that the Soy Boys are coming for you, man. That's oh, the Black man. Hat fans. I call them the Soy Boys, you know, because they're all, all interested right. in soy manipulating soy futures, as that movie is. <laughs> um, so the Soy Boys, you got to watch out. you gotta, you got to work on that branding, Absolutely. though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, I think that term has been co-opted by some yeah. other folks. <laughs> in any case... Uh, I, despite you know my my mixed feelings on Michael Mann, I was very excited about Ferrari. He got mm. a lot of money to make a movie, uh, uh, kind of a biopic about Enzo Ferrari. So, uh, Blake Howard, without getting into spoilers, tell us what your overall thoughts were on Ferrari. Why was it your favorite movie of 2023? Well, like at a really sort of superficial or high level, it's a movie set in 1957 with beautiful Italian suits and people drinking wine mm. and people interrupting sacrament because they would prefer to time the races on stopwatches, sensational cars, really powerful human drama. And Michael Mann directed it. Like everything that I like about movies is here. It's like, it's great actors. It's thrilling sound. It's terrific direction. And I just found it to be, and I, like, and Dave, look, we can totally agree. You know, the spectrum of like Michael, I love Michael Mann movies. I love all Michael Mann movies. So it's just like, there's a spectrum, but I also acknowledge that I, I also have those interactions with folks online that are like, oh, Black Hat's his best movie. And I'm like, sit down, go home, go to sleep. <laughs> yes, please. It's, it's, it's nice <laughs> of you to say that, but there's like nine other movies that are better. Um, but why I love Ferrari so much is because I just found it to be so elegant. And I feel like older filmmakers sometimes, uh, they lose some of maybe their flash. You know, it's kind of the same thing you think about with like oh, i recently thought about with like paul thomas anderson and the phantom thread um where you know if you looked at the phantom thread and then you looked at boogie nights they are two wildly different stylistic movies from the same filmmaker whereas i found variety just be so elegant 
and so purposefully timed and has these amazing set pieces, you know, timing a race in a sacrament, the actual racing scenes themselves, the opera scene at the central part of the movie that flashes between character motivations. And I was just kind of blown away that it is a huge spectacle in many respects, but it's also really unpredictably nuanced and emotional. And um, I just loved it. I, I, I just really, it, it made me feel so great to be back in such a master's hands. Um, and, you know, it is a long time since watching a Michael Mann movie that, you know, wasn't pushing the technological envelope or wasn't trying to push mm-hmm. boundaries of kind of mainstream storytelling. It is kind of a pretty nuts and bolts story. It is what it is. Uh, but I just found it to be so elegant. So that I think if that's what I was, if I, if mm-hmm. I was talking about one aspect of it that I speak to people, it's just exceptionally elegant storytelling, not too showy, just very confident. And yeah, it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a Soderbergh too. He has this where it's just things are elegant. Things just feel like they happen. He's not trying too hard to say, look at this stylistic thing I'm doing. But man alive, there's some great set pieces in this movie. And they just, if you're not into them, they might slip past you. But me, a Michael Mann psycho, uh, well documented, <laughs> uh, I was completely taken with the entire film. All right. Excellent summary. You know, uh, just a quick word about the look of the film. Uh, His last few films have heavily employed digital video, specifically thinking of Black Hat, Public Enemies, Miami Vice, and Collateral, right? Yes, yes. Uh, A lot of heavy use of digital videos in ways that were very obvious, right? Like it was Public Enemy specifically, that's uh, a movie set long ago, but was shot using digital video. Very consciously, yeah. uh, Very consciously trying to make it feel anachronistic, I think. but this movie, I felt like, was just uh, the the the, um, the aesthetic, the the way the movie was shot. None of it called attention to itself in a way that that uh. it did for Public Enemies, as an example, right? Um, and so, I, I'm I'm kind of curious, like, what's um, what was behind the decision making? Was that a conscious decision, or have digital cameras just gotten so good now that it doesn't matter if you're shooting on them anymore? You know. Uh, Anyway, Blake, I don't know if you have any insight. It's kind of a bit of all that if you follow Steve Yedlin's, you know, Ryan Johnson cinematographer. Like his his stuff about digital cinematography shows that it's come a long way. Yeah. Certainly since Public Enemies. Certainly since Public Enemies, you know. Yeah. I think it's the, like, the cool thing about, like, if you just start with, like, collateral, I think Michael Mann's, like, form and function with digital cinematography is really clear like there's a great set of clarity with it it's like i need to shoot this because literally uh and this is what i've learned speaking to some of the great people we've spoken to about michael mann films like elliot Coretz, who's a great sound designer if any of your fans and i'm assuming a great bunch of like film fans just like imdb elliot Coretz as a sound designer he's done a million movies but elliot spoke to my co-host katie walsh and i on our show about what happened when you use digital video in Los Angeles at night for collateral? And he said, it opens the depth of field. And as a sound designer, I have more space that the audience needs addressing in the soundscape of the movie. And so Katie and I were kind of like, Mm. oh my God, like that is such a dimension to how that story is told. And I think you're spot on, Dave. I love that summary. Public Enemies is intentionally anachronistic because the film is talking about a change of, I guess, like old Western bank robbery to contemporary crime, like <laughs> organized crime. Right. And so 
the flux of the digital cinematography butting up against the actual time is actually helping to serve the message of the movie. Whereas with Ferrari, he, it feels like he's not the, the, the aesthetic of the film is about, and the only way I can describe it is if you've ever been to Italy, if you've been lucky enough to be in Europe, if you've experienced an Italian sunset, like I went for a friend's wedding like 15 years ago in Tuscany. I just can't describe to you what the light is like in Italy. Mm-hmm. And, I think um, Europe just does it better. Like that's, <laughs> the, that's the unfortunate thing. Like, I, 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 I have a distinct memory of being on like a, a hilltop in Barcelona and being like, <laughs> Why don't we have this? <laughs> Why is this different? Davinci nailed it. It's like I don't understand, but I was yeah. in Italy looking at the sunset, and I'm like, "Why? Like I've Why? I mean, like what? Why does this look so beautiful?" And I feel like everything about the decor and this—I don't know—this sort of classic, timeless. I mean, in Australia, especially Sydney. Every second day, we knock down a heritage-listed building and put up some monstrosity, right? And in Modena, the same cobblestones that Enzo Ferrari literally walked on in 1957 are there. You know, mm-hmm, there's a mm-hmm. scene where Michael Mann has talked about and Bilga Abiri, another great legendary chronicler of Michael Mann and a dear friend. You know, Enzo Ferrari's barber's grandson still works at the barber shop where his grandfather worked and cut Enzo Ferrari's hair and face. Like... These places exist. And so I think that the cinematography and the texture and another great cinematographer, Eric Messerschmitt, <clears throat> Eric Messerschmitt they, just, they just were like, we are going to capture the, the warmth of this place, even though there's some pretty gnarly, hairy stuff that they have to show in this movie. But I feel like the warmth of the cinematography is about capturing those nuanced colors and just the texture. I feel like, yeah, very much form and function for this one. It wasn't trying yeah. to push it for some... Right. You know, stylistic quirk. It was just, right. what does the story need? Well, Absolutely. 1957 in Italy is basically yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, 1957 exactly. is you know in, in, in America is like, wow, that's ancient <laughs> history. But in, yeah. in Italy, that's like, what? Right. No. Yeah, we, yeah. We're talking, you know, thousands it, of years of history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1957 is like a significant portion of America's lifetime, whereas, you know, <laughs> yeah. not the case for, for Italy, right? So, yeah. anyway, uh, your hardware. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Michael Mann's Ferrari? I feel like, Blake, I could just boil down everything that you said to uh, it gets the vibes right. Yeah, like, good vibes. <laughs> it's the vibes. It's the Michael Mann vibes that I love so much. I'm also a maniac for this man because I don't always love his movies, but I love his aesthetic. I love how he tells stories. Um, there was a tweet recently. Um, somebody was saying, like, you know, Taylor Swift makes these songs that distinctly you know, get to the heart of what women are thinking and feeling. And I wonder if men have that. And I will tell you, yes. And his name is Michael Mann. Because Michael Mann makes romantic... Well, you say Bon Jovi, but okay, all right. Also Bon Jovi. I mean, take your pick. Jeff, um, Jeff held up a Bon Jovi vinyl for everyone who's not watching that. Uh, but no, that's kind of what Michael Mann feels like for me because he's a filmmaker who makes these deeply emotional almost operatic films. And there's actually an opera featured in the middle of this movie. I think to great effect. Um, Just the experience of watching this, of being in this world, of being around these people. And he is so good at drawing portraits of very, very competent people. Like his movies are almost always competent porn, uh, competence porn. Um, But the driven nature of Enzo Ferrari as played by Adam driver here. I just like, I don't know. It just deeply hooked me. Um, I've seen this movie several times already. Um, I had a screener and it was fine. 
you know, it was fine when I was talking about it in December. I just recently saw this movie in the theaters and it like knocked me off my feet um, because the sound design comes through more. The actual look of the film just shines a lot more. Um, I felt like going to see this movie. It was probably the third time I saw it. Um, but seeing this movie in the theater, I felt like an old man going to the opera and just being like, <laughs> well, I've seen the story before. I'm just going to be here. I know when I'm going to cry. I know when I'm going to tear up. I know when I'm going to feel moved by this entire situation. And in many ways, this is a kind of an unusual biopic because it, it is just a very specific set of time uh, that we're following, like a really momentous occasion for Enzo Ferrari. But at the same time, it does also lean on some of the tropes that we've seen. I know Dave, you pointed out like there, there is a direct line from walk hard, you know, the wrong son died in this movie. Kind wrong of kid off. died. Wrong <laughs> kid died. In the first but 15 minutes of the movie. A that's character in the first says, 15. Wrong but that kid is died. apparently also a line that Ferrari's mother also actually said. So what What do you, <laughs> what you know? I, what do I want from this movie? What do you right? want? Do you what want, do want? want authenticity? <laughs> do you want verisimilitude? Um, I can just say... from a trite, authentically trite. Yeah. Authentically trite. But can I just say for any cat, like... I, I'm half Maltese, and for, a, for my that's an old Maltese grandmother that like hit me right in the. Oh, uh, it was like a headshot. I was like, oh, yeah, there's that Catholicism. I the felt personalities it. I was in like, this movie. Wow. Yeah, because you instantly know who these characters are. Like you see who Ferrari is almost right at the beginning. Like a guy quietly getting up, and he's a man known for big loud cars, but he is sneaking out of this house and rolling the car out, not you know, turning on the engine, that all says something. Penelope Cruz, uh, Cruz as soon as we see her, is just like uh, a fierce lion. Like, you see everything that this character is, and I love her portrayal of that character, too. Like, you can tell, like, she is somebody who has a personality, who has a sense of self, but is also so deeply drowning in her own grief that she can't really, she just doesn't give a fuck about the world anymore. And she's somebody who approaches the world like that. And I found that more and more compelling, you know, every time I saw this film, I love this movie. I think it is a really interesting portrait of a man who's just driven to do these things because he's a very good engineer and he he can help achieve like things that we've never seen before uh, on the racetrack or, you know, on major races all throughout the world. Watching this movie again reminded me actually of the Iron Claw, because that's another story of people basically doing doing whatever it takes to achieve the impossible, to achieve some sense of greatness serious cost to themselves and to others also makes me think of how complicit we are in enjoying some of these things too, especially like we'll talk about what happens at the end of this movie. This movie is a lot of things, but I think it really does fully encapsulate what I love about a Michael Mann movie, because it, at the end of the day, it is a deeply romantic story about a man who is driven to accomplish something great. And it doesn't, it kind of like gives the entire story room to breathe around it. And Adam Driver can embody Enzo Ferrari as like a genuine character, um, even though he is decades too young to even play this role. He still like does a fantastic job. So, yeah, I am right there with you, Blake. I love this movie. Um, you know, I have the Black Hat 4K. I'm kind of Same. almost scared to revisit it um, because the I director's hated cut's that movie. a banger. The director's cut is actually, but it's really not good. in 4K. So no, I bought the not. 4K Blu-ray <laughs> to watch the director's cut in HD. That's how much of a Michael Mann fan I am. We'll, we'll, get, you, we'll get you the Swen cut. Speaking of Ferrari <laughs> being out on video on demand today, the perfect timing that we're recording this. Uh, as we're recording, the Oscar nominations have recently gone past. And I know that 
my dear friend and I think a friend of your show, Roxana Haddadi, mm-hmm. recently yes. tweeted because Penelope Cruz did not get a nomination Shocking. for an Academy Award. Yeah. And she wrote, which I think is perfect, I will avenge you, my beautiful, terrible, treacherous, stronger than the foundations of the Earth Queen. Well, and I think uh, <laughs> I think that that uh, perfectly encapsulates uh, everyone's feeling who love this movie of uh, Penelope Cruz. Mm-hmm. Jeff Kanata, I am extremely curious. What did you think of Michael Mann's Ferrari? Well, Dave... I guess you could say what I thought of Michael Mann's Ferrari is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Oh God. Mm, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. In trying to make the best car, he treats everyone bad. He's not sorry. It gets good, <laughs> but it's not right away. And I thought you're supposed to start fast in Ferraris. <laughs> well played. Nice. Well played. Yeah. You rhymed car, he, and sorry, I think. <laughs> very nice. With Ferrari. And Ferrari. Yeah, very, very nice. Yes. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that away. I'm going to sit on that, Jeff. That car, was he. That was really very good. good. That's, I love that, Jeff. Um, by the end of this movie, I liked it. Uh, I am much cooler on it than uh, uh, Devendra or Blake. Um, I think, you know, you guys were talking before we started recording about Ali having the greatest opening in the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. I think Ferrari may have the worst opening in the history of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> it is a disastrous use of special effects, of visual oh, effects. Oh, yeah, yeah, visual effects. Disastrous. Yes, yes, it's very bad, yes. It is yeah. like, who, what, did he let his kid do this part? Like, Michael Mann's going to do a movie, but we're going to let some uh, eighth grader do the first five minutes of the movie. Or not even five minutes, two minutes, whatever it is. It's a, so a let's just clear, yeah, yeah. There's a flashback, and it looks like there's like five archival footage that's shot on. <laughs> I, I want to say eight, eight millimeter, but like not even eight millimeter. Not even eight millimeter. Like I don't even know, know what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, disastrous. It's they put Adam Driver <laughs> in that time in, period, but yeah, in the footage. But it it, it, it fools when they cut, no one. It, when it, they it, cut from the actual footage to Adam Driver. It looks ridiculously out of place and not absolutely good. Yeah. amateurish and embarrassing, <laughs> and and it serves no purpose, in my opinion. Like it did not need mm-hmm. to be included in the film to understand the context of a racer turned uh, engineer. That aside, it's it's only two minutes. It's you get past it quickly, but I will say, yeah. it did not set a good tone for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think the movie finds its footing. Uh, but it takes a while for me to do it. It, it, it takes a while to rev up, uh, to use more car analogies. Nailed it's, it. Let's keep um, this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It starts in first gear, and I feel like it really... Um, and it goes in reverse uh, a little bit. Before, <laughs> it stalls go, for a little bit. It yeah, goes in yeah. reverse, Dave. What are you talking okay. about? Um, <laughs> That's how gears work, Dave. <laughs> I, uh, it spends I think... The, yeah. Okay, go ahead. The last, I don't know, half an hour of this movie is where the movie should have started, in my opinion. I think we get to the most interesting stuff and it is, I yeah. think we get past yeah. it way too quickly. It is, yeah. It all of a sudden, it... I did not know Enzo Ferrari's story going into this movie. I did yeah. not know the details of 1957's racing scene. I was not, I did not read up on it before I watched the movie. So I, this was all new to me. And I, I felt like, oh my God, all of a sudden the stakes shot to the roof. Things get really interesting and, and 
intense. And now I'm in. And then the movie's like, oh, yeah, by the way, okay, we're past that. And it's like, whoa, oh, no, that's where that's where you start the movie. I felt like for easily an hour of this movie, it is just vibes. And I love the fact that you guys were on the wavelength of those vibes. I was riding on and off of them. I felt like I kept going, what does this guy want? What is what why am I in this movie right now? What what are we doing? Like he didn't there didn't seem to be a goal. Uh, and, and we sort of arrive at some racing, but it's all very nebulous. And then all of a sudden the movie's like, no, here are the stakes. Here's the excitement. Here's, and I'm like, whoa, yeah, awesome. This movie's awesome. But it took for me way too long to get there. I do agree that Adam Driver is phenomenal. And what an mm -hmm. outside the box idea for someone, like, like you said, Devendra, way too young for this part, but he pulls it off. He, he has this presence that you I don't know anything about Enzo Ferrari personally, but I get the sense that he was one of those people that could walk in a room and everybody else stops what they're doing. And Adam Driver with his height and his, and the look that they get for them, that Michael Mann, you know, everything put together, polished and perfect look. It, he really sells that is beautiful. And Penelope Cruz is awesome as well. But I also felt like I, I was less interested in the infidelity of Enzo Ferrari uh, in, in his interpersonal relationships than I was in the in in the enterprise of him. And I felt like the movie spent way too long with the former and not enough time with the latter for my taste. I think this is a middling Michael Mann effort, in my opinion. Uh, I do think the movie is worth seeing, and I do I did enjoy it. I just feel like it, it, it you could lose a lot of running time and it would be sharper, better for me. And, um, I think, you know, ultimately one I would recommend seeing, especially on video on demand, I, I agree in great sound would be great. I saw it in a movie theater, but it with great sound on a big screen. I think this movie deserves that, but, um, I don't think this is, you know, in the top tier of his oeuvre for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm kind of right there with Jeff, uh, I have a lot of issues with the way the plot is structured. The there is this big, you know, kind of build up, and then the the final act feels weirdly anticlimactic. I, I would just say, uh, but what I really appreciated about this movie is the racing scenes. I just think they are technically really well done, really uh, accomplished, and thrilling to watch. Um, so, and there's a lot of them. There's like, it's not just like one racing scene. There's like many, many racing scenes and you really feel the danger, the excitement, um, the potential of these vehicles. So it's no crazy that belts. human beings did that. Yeah. The fact yeah. That yeah. Human beings, Insane. Like, yeah, with yeah. no safety whatsoever. Right. Just like, I'll <laughs> hurl myself across the planet right. and it's but, just what yeah. happens. But it's also like, it's either you survive or die. It's a yeah. binary choice of getting in the car. It's like, oh yeah, today I might not die. But if it crashes, I'm dead. There's no yeah. like, there's not a roll cage or a really no. fancy yeah. smart helmet or or right, seat right. belts. Yeah, or no seat belts. belts. <laughs> but there's ashtrays, Jeff, there's which ash I think is really. It's like the <laughs> fact that every crash is just a body flying across the sky. It's like <laughs> it's insane that people yeah. did this. Yeah, it's you know a, a random movie pops into mind as you, as we're talking about this is like the the fact that it's that dangerous. I feel like the characters in the movie are underselling it. Whereas yeah, right. I don't know if you saw um really random reference, but a perfect storm. You guys remember uh -huh. the movie a perfect uh -huh. storm? Sure. 
and like I, I, I want to say Di- is it Diane Lane in, in that movie or anyway whoever Mark Wahlberg's wife was in that movie was like really really worried about him going out into the sea to fish and she's like I can't believe they're going out again you know but he's like he's just going fishing it's like yes obviously the storm happened and it was terrible but it's like um, I, yeah people really in this movie I, I don't think communicate how dangerous this thing really is. Whereas, well, like, do you think the we, first crash where the guy flies across the field and like splats <laughs> is like, oh, this is a problem. Yeah, no, no, this no, could I, be a problem. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I and then Ferrari the just audience, looks at you know, Del Ferrari just looks at Depotago and goes, I've got an opening. You're know what we need. You know what we need. You know what we should really innovate on? Bigger engines. How about Safety devices of literally any kind. Literally yeah, guys, any no type cars, of safety device. No cars had seatbelts. Uh, there was a whole like fight from car manufacturers to even put in seatbelts in the US. So yeah, mm. we yeah. we're not a very smart species, you know? Yeah. But I, I gotta agree with Jeff too that I think the movie is worth watching. It's my favorite Michael Mann film since Collateral. Like it suffers from biopic, which you know was came out 20 years ago. Like it it suffers from the the same problems that many biopics suffer from, in my opinion, which is we got to hit these important beats in the story without like the buildup necessary to make us really care about those things, in my opinion. Um, but the racing scenes are cool, and uh, and the biopic structure is executed co- like relatively competently, I would say. Yeah. So it, it is I, a I, sliced biopic. It's not like birth to death you right, know correct. type of it's thing a, it's so. a slice of his life but even then there's just there's it feels like a bunch of stuff where it's like gotta hit this beat gotta hit this beat you know to me to me um anyway i still think it's worth watching it's one of the mm-hmm. greatest filmmakers of all time uh making a a decent biopic in my opinion and the racing scenes yeah. are excellent so i mean the people um, going to this who want like michael mann in uh we, he he made fast boats you know, a thing in Miami Vice. So now we have fast cars and boy, are they fast and boy, do the scenes just feel like so different and unique as far as racing movies go. Uh, we just reviewed Gran Turismo like uh, over the summer and it just struck me like how visceral it feels because so much of Gran Turismo stuff was, you know, CG and special effects and stuff. Whereas this is like, no, they, they had to build like these classic era cars cause they couldn't use the actual ones. They're too special um, and have people drive them and just like so much of this just feels so fantastic like how it's shot too like i love the establishing wide shots uh for the bigger races and then you zoom in to car level like it just really gives you that sense of speed which i think is is something you don't always get in a movie especially about racing yeah i agree davindra i think the the racing scenes in this movie are superior like uh, gran turismo i thought had really solid racing scenes but i think in this movie it's even better there's something about the way the the camera is moving along with the vehicles the way the vehicles look um the the way the design the gear yeah, shifts. It, it all, it all comes together. Just in a really what, just the way. yeah, the I think the pacing of watching gears shifting like very tactile and you know that was one of my friends was texting me. He's like, man, Michael Mann can shoot the hell out of a gear change. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like it, that's you feel it as the speed is intensifying and these corners are coming. It's oh, it's 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 special. I love the all guys right. arriving with just a face full of soot. Yeah, you know? yes. Just like that's in your lungs. We didn't <laughs> even body have... forever, and a, Let... and a cigarette hanging out of their mouth yeah. as well, like a lit cigarette and soot on their Just face. Crazy, cavalierly staring in the face of death. You know, <laughs> these are and, men. And- these the idea are men. That, the idea that, uh, you know, we, 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 I was just yelling about putting in some seatbelts or something. And these mm-hmm. guys are like, we don't even have a windshield, dude. <laughs> like just dirt in my face. <laughs> just dirt on me. 
Mm-hmm. But I do I do want to mm-hmm. say like I love the racing scenes, but I think this this is a movie that I think I grew on to as I rewatched it. But I think yeah, it takes a while before we get to the great stuff in the last act. Like that is tremendous racing stuff. You know all the stakes and everything, but the setup is of a guy who is living dual lives, you know, and can't quite he refuses to deal with the it's about dealing with grief. He's refusing to deal with the death of his son. Basically, his wife is there just kind of uh left to squander and uh, uh, you know fend for herself at the same time they run the business together so how does that work yes how does that dr- like that is such a wild setup to me and then she is still like yes she's incredibly uh drowning in grief but at the same time very competent about what she's doing and the minute that bank guy slips up and is like what house what's <laughs> yeah. going on and the way she looks at him and he's like oh i She's going to kill me. And that the entire scene is just like her staring at him and like concluding business. But he is like, oh, my life is over. The way yeah. she handles that and immediately goes like, we're going to this town. We're going to go look for this thing. Um, I think all the scenes like, yeah, there's a lot of like there is a lot of like talky stuff. There's a lot of drama, but it does set up this guy's kind of wild life that he's built for himself. And at the same time, he is il commandatore. Like he is, he is the leader of this company and everybody follows what he does. I just found that fascinating. You know, like it's not necessarily relatable, but at the same time, <laughs> I did see the appeal be like, well, this lady's a lot right now. So I'm going to go to Shailene Woodley. And she's very nice. She is so sweet. Yeah. She's picking fruit from trees and she is like, we have another son. And she's I'm making me ravioli. Like it's making like, me ravioli. That, and she is just like way too understanding of this whole situation, but at the same time does not accept the bullshit of like, Hey, we started this when we were young and I didn't realize what we were doing. Like even that is there. So I appreciate that almost every character in this movie has like that texture to them. You know why they're there. You know why they feel the way they do. And the drama between them to me feels even as interesting as the racing scene. So that's why I'm like really rooting for this film at this point. Yeah, that that's where I am, Devinger, too. It's just like for me, the setup of a guy who's literally on the precipice of ruining his entire company, mm-hmm. potentially ruining the financial stakes of an entire town, and also on the on the precipice of ruining both his lives, because he mm-hmm. kind of has two at that point. That's where the stakes are. So by the time we get to the Millier Millier. For me, I'm already at another level. Like I'm completely invested in the unpredictability of what is going to happen based on all of the character and the drama establishing. Like for me, that's the dynamism of the movie. It's like once you then get to the million media, it's like I have no clue what is going to happen in the third act because mm-hmm. I didn't do any. Like I don't. I'm not familiar. I wasn't familiar with Enzo Ferrari. I didn't do any of the the googling before to know all of that stuff. Or I'm not a huge car fan. So as soon as I got that, I was like, oh my god, this is like genuinely amazing so yeah but, but i i everything that both dave and and uh and and jeff loved about the ending i was like right there for it before we get to spoilers jeff Kanata, i do have a question for you uh yeah and that is about the depiction of italians in this movie um, <laughs> now adam driver this is the second film in which he's played an Italian character with a thick accent. And he an actually older Italian about, character too, yeah. He talked about this on the Smartless podcast. Uh, he, <clears throat> he said, quote, so many people have been like, how many Italians? I'm like, it's just worked out that way. Uh, you know, it's Ridley Scott and Michael Mann, and they're, in my mind, some of the best filmmakers. Who gives a shit that it was two Italians back to back? I'm surprised how much it comes up. It's like, you have a thing. And I'm like, it's two. It's two Italians. It's just two. <laughs> <laughs> the press isn't a place where you have a nuanced conversation, end quote. 
So anyway, that's some context it's two, there. But... It's two Ita- which is also my review of the Super Mario Brothers franchise. It's two. It's two Italian. Well, we got the we got Waluigi cast right here. Adam the, Driver the, for Waluigi. The accents in this movie did not work for me. I, I just was very distracted by them because they have varying accents of varying quality me. and intensity. But yeah, I, remember I, I wanted you, to see what you thought. Yeah, I had remember you saying that yeah. before I saw the movie. And yeah. so I went in, I yes. think, uh, stealing myself to, yeah. to... Expecting to, Jared Leto. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I, I honestly, it did <laughs> oh, not yeah, bother me at all. At okay. all. I mean, I didn't... Mm-hmm. Nobody sounded like my grandpa, but that's okay. I mean, a couple of characters, a couple of side characters that you know, they're like cast that dude straight out of <laughs> Sicily. Seal driver guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, I, it was fine. I thought Adam Driver did fine. Uh, you know, Penelope Cruz, also not Italian. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of not Italians playing Italians, which I guess it's okay. In yeah. this case, I, I, I guess. I guess. I All guess. right, cool. Well, uh, uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I will say, I, as somebody who got married in Italy um, and loves it there, and, my, you know, my grandparents were born there, uh, I will agree with everything that Blake said about the cinematography, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just sumptuous. It's sumptuous. And you really feel that, you know, there's these scenes with them standing in front of some amazing villa and on these cobblestones and a car pulls up and there's like 40 Italian dudes with wide collars standing there like <laughs> looking at the car and you're just like, Man, what a time. You know, what, what a time. time. <laughs> What's All stopping right. you from dressing like this, man? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right, let, let's get the spoilers for Ferrari starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here tell you how it's going to begin all right so jeff i I think i'm right there with you the very final moments of this movie a lot of stuff happens yeah a lot of stuff happens uh, yeah like oh your company's in crisis you're gonna be sued and then it's like no it's fine it's okay by the way uh (laughs) just walk with your son sit down on the thing and he he inherits the company and then text on the screen and say what what but that's the that's the juicy stuff. But it's like, is this, yeah, I was, I was thinking, is this movie going to go on for another hour? You know, maybe? Yeah. Like, we're going to get a whole other, but. I would have loved to see more. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. Th- I don't know that I would have started the movie <laughs> the there. The end Ferrari court martial is what the whole movie would have turned <laughs> into <laughs> after this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know that I would have wanted the movie to start there, but I, I agree yeah. that it feels strangely anticlimactic to get to the end of this race and then to the whole movie has been building up to like, oh, this race is so important. This race is so important. The race happens and it's like, oh, now we're going to find out the consequences of what happened. Well, they, like, won, the well, way, also, they won the race, you know? Well, also, well, yes, but the worst possible at, thing happened. At huge like, cost. At huge cost, yes, right? Yeah. At huge cost. It, literally, is that not, is that not, yeah, the Well, that's the, the whole thing. Is the, the, yeah. The setup is you need to win this race to, to advance the Ferrari brand in a yeah. way that we can't in any other way. And yet, the worst possible thing for the brand happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's literally no, no the solution. There, there's a solution. The there's solution. a solution. I have a bag of money. <laughs> yeah. Tell them to go fuck themselves. But like that's, <laughs> I get it. I get yeah. it. But that's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's hand waved. It's not dramatized. Yeah. Like yeah. I dig, I yeah. dig that Penelope, like I dig the whole Penelope Cruz angle of like, Hey, I'm going to use this leverage, not in the way you thought I was going to, but in this completely different way to actually mm-hmm. help the company and you. Mm-hmm. But 
and, and it's an amazing scene. It's an amazing, uh, you know, dialogue moment, but there's no dramatization of that. There's no, it, yeah. it's just sort of like we say it's going to happen and then cut to it had happened. And I feel like, like I agree hundred percent with David's anticlimactic. I feel like it gave it short shrift and I, I would have liked a, mm-hmm. a, to be invested in that. Yeah. That pr- progress. more. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I, 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 I would have liked to see more. The thing I'd say here is I think this is a movie that is so focused on the people and the human drama. Like so little of this movie is like the broader aspects of it. Like we don't see too many like sports reporters, you know, uh, talking about the race and what's happening. Like we're always focused on the characters watching TV screens or something where the characters like responding to what's happening. Reading newspaper articles. Yeah, yeah, the yep. newspaper articles. This movie does not make the Italian media look very good, unfortunately. <laughs> um but it, it is, I would have liked to see more at the same time, that final scene with Penelope Cruz, where she reveals what the money is for, but also her final wish, which is just that, Hey, I'm going to save you, but this kid can never have this name. Um, while she's alive. So while she's alive yeah. is so fascinating. Like to me, that scene is fascinating and also kind of heartbreaking because man, I just, I want her to be okay. Is the thing. Like she yes. is so good at portraying this woman who is just like trapped and the only minute she can have like a glimpse of a smile is when she's at, you know, her son's, uh, her son's like um, cemetery, basically, and watching him in the mausoleum. Like there's that early scene, or, uh, there's that scene early on where it's just 30 seconds of the camera on her face. And it goes from blank to kind of a smile to tears. And that's like the, uh, that's the happiness she allows herself. So by the end of the film, Sure, she helps to save the company by doing this really backhanded, dirty thing. Um, but her wish is just like this kid, this kid, yeah, because she doesn't want this kid to have this name. It says so much about who she is and what she values and like what she can't let go of from her grief. So I found that fascinating and heartbreaking too. Yeah, here's my here's my retort to that though, and and I want to hear from Blake. Uh, yeah, but I I appreciate everything you've said, I just don't think. I, as an audience member, am invested in whether or not this kid gets this name because the movie never makes that a stake earlier than that moment. And in fact, no, it's everything, about let, from let the me finish, let me finish, let me finish. Yeah. And in fact, everything that we've learned up to that point is he was going to keep the kid a complete secret mm-hmm. the whole, his whole life. Like there was no point at which the kid was going to get the name and her taking that away felt to me like a non-issue at this point. Cause it's like, well, you weren't going to give the kid the name anyway until after she was dead uh, because you were going to stay in this marriage and you were going to keep the kid a secret from the media, from her. And the fact that it came out, I, I don't understand why now her taking that away, I'm mm-hmm. supposed to feel like, oh, the kid really deserves the name. It's like, he was never going to get it anyway. That's that's strange to me, Jeff, because the early yeah. conversations with her and Shailene Woodley's, like him and Shailene Woodley's character is, when are you going to give this kid the name? Like that is the mm. setup for the relationship between the kid and Shailene Woodley and everything. Well, but the answer is never. <laughs> I, I, first of all, how, how dare you, Jeff, make me agree with Devendra on this? Case. But I, 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 actually, I actually agree with Devendra because I think even even putting aside the plot execution of it, I do think it works as a character moment for Penelope Cruz's character. Like even if there's, I, I, it hasn't I, I, been I don't any, disagree yeah. with that. I'm not saying okay, that it okay. doesn't. Right, right. But, you, but I think yeah, it's an amazing it, moment. But yeah, I just yeah, yeah. felt like it was. It felt like more evidence to me of the movie inventing new stakes at the end that meant mm. something to me at the end. But it's like, where was that for this entire hour and a yeah. half that I'd been watching? You know, I, 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 I agree. Felt with like, yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, that, watching that was the seated in this earlier. Movie, yeah, yeah, it was this kid. We said when he was ten, he was going to get the name, and he just he never says no. I never got the sense it was never. It's more like I am the engineer of so much in my life, but I cannot control this, and I just can't deal with this right now. It's more like I'm trying to save my company, cannot deal with this kid's last name. Sorry, and it never felt like a never thing. It just felt like he just wasn't fully thinking about it. Whereas Penelope Cruz's character is like, oh no, I am locked in to everything here. And my calculation here is screw this kid, not because it's anything personal, but because if this kid gets the name, then my son is less important, you know, historically or something. And that's kind of all the calculation I saw there. But the whole name, the kid getting the name, the whole relationship between the kid, the the point where the kid is chanting Ferrari with his wonderful like rolling R's and wonderful (laughs) Italian accent is just like, it is so heartbreaking because you can't be a Ferrari. Like that, and that is just like yeah. littered throughout the film for me. I will say though that that uh, signature that he got probably skyrocketed in value. No, seriously. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, uh, Blake Howard. We've been sharing a bunch of assorted thoughts about the ending of this film, the racing component, mm-hmm. the Penelope Cruz Ferrari, uh, you know, Adam Driver relationship. Uh, how did the resolution of the story work for you? I love that because I completely did not see it coming. Because for me, I, the, the thing that I was writing the whole way is that Enzo basically time stops for Enzo. The town stops for Enzo. Enzo is constantly trying to stay one step ahead of the negotiation. Like even with Lena, Shailene Woodley's character earlier in the film, he's saying, you know, like just delay his confirmation. Let's mm-hmm, not actually mm-hmm. make this there. So those stakes for me were really solidified early. And when all of the things happen and the betrayals happen and it's just that hilarious scene where Lena asks, so who knows that he's our son? He's like, well, the bank manager and the chief of police <laughs> That's very and, funny. and half my staff and yeah. he, all sure, of his them, teachers. And, 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 and it's like, but yeah, like, this is Italy. Italy. there's like 40 yeah. people. Like, everyone <laughs> in the whole town except your wife knows that this is there. And she even feels bad that this is like that Enzo delaying and kind of manipulating his entire universe around him has mm-hmm. caused this. She can see this collision coming. And so when it is happening, because I had no clue of the history, you automatically think that it is going to fit into the neat trope that Penelope Cruz is going to tear his business down or take the money away. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be more broke. And you might have like a weird tangential view of like the Ford versus Ferrari of it all in your brain mm-hmm. where you're like, oh yeah, they were kind of still broke at that time when they were racing um, Le Mans and things like that. So they were trying to negotiate a Ford to be a part of it. And then they got Fiat funding and all that stuff is sort of happening and being manipulated later. So you kind of might have a tangential view, even if you're a movie fan, but when she says, when she protects the company and protects what they've built, cause ultimately they built it. Mm-hmm. Like she is such a huge part of this. It's not just Enzo. I was just blown away and I loved it because I also loved that it was so the ending I wasn't expecting. I was like, oh, she's going to tear his life down and she's going to leave and whatever. And he's like, no, we're going to live together. And probably because I am a Be miserable Man- together. Yeah. Forever. We're, we're yeah. just going to have this weird, sometimes like crazy, you, you might shoot me, then we might shag on the dining table relationship which i'm all about um true, uh, true. Uh, and, and big fan of dining tables big fan of dining tables big fan of penelope cruz big fan of suspenders um this is more about me that you need to know um but what i would say is by that time i was so invested in oh my god like the catastrophe which we're going to probably talk about in more detail that comes at the end of this movie i was like there is no way that he is going to recover and be able to continue to pursue this engineering dream that he has and when it flipped and it became more about this ambivalent 
relationship and what people are willing to do for each other so that they can fulfill their dreams. I was just like, this was rendered in such a more complicated way in a more real tactile way than so many movies deal with it. So for me, that was, that's the true climax of the movie. All of the gear shifts, all of the crazy car stuff, that conversation across that table has greater stakes than any other part of the movie for me. So for, for when that happens, I completely was blindsided and blown away mm -hmm. by it. Um, I so, could imagine like a tricklier movie also having her accept the other kid. Yes. By the end, just having yes. like some warmth in her heart. This movie's like, no, no. And this is, I, I assume like, uh, I have not read this, but it seems like this is what actually happened. So well, Michael, even presenting that situation is Michael Mann shared an amazing story on our show with us. Katie and I were lucky enough to interview Michael Mann. And he talked, talked about one time, <laughs> one time she crashed her car into a canal and was saved by an ambulance. And Enzo said, why did you bother saving her? Right? He <laughs> literally said this to the town. He's like, say, and then another time his engineers came into his office and said, man, she keeps interrupting our work. She's crazy. And he goes, okay. And he fired every engineer that worked for him and ruined two years of the company's racing. That's the weird, <laughs> real people that these people were like in one moment he's yeah. like let her die and the next moment someone insulted her in a meeting and he fired his whole racing team and ruined his business for two years because <laughs> maybe he didn't all those like, fumes yeah. that they're did, all breathing he, he aren't, didn't, aren't so helpful he didn't <laughs> like the insult to her right yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's yeah. that weird yeah wonderful that I, complexity i can do it but no one else can. exactly yeah mm -hmm. like it's, hey no <laughs> nobody calls her that but me it's like, right <clears> you know <throat> it's the it's jack nicholson in batman you and I were Beauty and the Beast, and if anyone else calls you Beast, I'll rip their heart out. And I love that. Like it's that's a real thing. It's not just a cartoon, and that's what I love about this movie. So for me, the stakes are less about a gear shift or, or a blinding speed or a kiss of death. It's like at a table going, "Bribe the Italian media. Who gives a shit?" Um, that's that 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 really sold. And I watched it last night in preparation to talking to you lads, which is you know again, thank you for the excuse. Um, to log another Michael Mann movie on my letterbox. Um, um, but I, I was like, by the time I got to the end last night, I was like, whoa, this movie is yeah. really special. All right. Well, unless there's anything else, I think we can actually well, wrap it up Well, let's there. talk yeah. about the real star of this movie that we have not even mentioned yet. Mr. Patrick Dempsey. Yes. Who appears <laughs> and is now silver actually Fox a race Dempsey. car driver as a, as a like, beautiful silver fox. I'm not a big fan of Patrick Dempsey as an actor. I think watch a rewatching, what was it, Scream 3? We're like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't. Why, why did we like this guy? But he was really, I just liked his like stature, his like regal demeanor here. And he's like the old guy. And he's the one who basically ends up saving the company by winning the, the race. It's just hilarious. Yeah. Funny Such that like presence. no one is old in racing because they all die. And, and here's yeah. this old dude just like sticking around. <laughs> he's like, you've yeah. driven the Miller Miller 16 times. You don't need a navigator. <laughs> he's like, but I need a cigarette. I need an ashtray for my cigarettes. He's like, okay. Yeah. But no, yeah. I, I Patrick Dempsey is like an out of time guy. It's so funny because like, obviously us who are like cinephiles, you, you hear these stories of like the Paul Newmans of it all. He's like acting mm -hmm. and then he gets obsessed with racing or Steve McQueen, these guys who really love racing. And like Patrick Dempsey's a guy who like, literally races like fast is a new guy too who like went off and did racing and it's so funny that he's like oh my god i, I don't really need to act i got that gray's anatomy money i'm fine i'm cool like just racing 
my cars, but like the opportunity to be a racer in a movie and drive these old cars around tracks. Yeah. You mean I can it, race and act? Yeah, race and act at the it's same like, time. How rare, you know? It's it's brilliant. <laughs> so no, I, he was a huge surprise. And but when I saw him, it's like Patrick Dempsey's going to be in this, and you see him, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's going to eat up wearing Italian loafers. Mm-hmm. He's going <laughs> to eat it up. He's got the style, wide collars. He's ready. He's he's born for this at this stage of his career. All right. Well, uh, it's obviously a movie that uh, has a lot of really interesting things to recommend it, and uh, I think yeah, the the it sounds like we all actually agree. Like dramatically, the ending did work, you know, as a character mm-hmm. study. But just yes. maybe like, but but the thing that's weird is like structurally, it's it's almost like a heist movie. You know, it's like yeah. we're putting together this thing, and then we're going to do this thing, and then like, but as a heist movie, it doesn't really succeed in in that way. You know, because of the way the plot is structured. In any case. Putting all that aside, at the end of the day, it is really, really impressive that Michael Mann made a movie. Wait, wait. That's it? <laughs> we get to talk about the crash, buddy. That's what I was waiting for. We got to talk about the crash. <laughs> okay, Let's at least spend right. five minutes on the crash. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Because the most horrendous crash you've Jesus! ever seen in any movie. It's at least let's say that. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's hard, and and then that that long tracking shot of the bodies just. Along the side of the road, it's it was a it was a moment where I I did yelp, you know, watching because yeah. I didn't see I didn't know that what was going to happen. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. I, I yelped the first time, but when I was in a theater and there was like I went to see it like midday this week. Don't tell work. Um, there there, there was like there were at least like ten to twelve people in the theater with me, and when that moment happened, it is so beautifully orchestrated because you're at the end of the millimilia right he's going down this like tunnel of trees the camera's like he's going so fast i'm gonna like rack zoom a little bit and just like really get that sense <laughs> he, of speed and stop and he's in his happy place too he's, he's in his like, happy yeah, place oh, yeah. man. this is great then stop silence yeah. slow-mo complete and utter devastation and i saw that i saw like the car flipping and hitting the tree thing like that was actually in the trailer yeah but yeah. the context of how that all happens and how quickly it happens and how that is just like, it's such a mic drop moment of how, man, we are, we are just bags of meat. Aren't we? Yeah. We're just bags. Like we are very in an stupid bags of meat. Yeah. <laughs> let's the, run towards the screen. Let's run towards that's it. the other, that's the other part that you didn't mention Davinja that I thought was masterful is mm-hmm. we start at the dinner table with this family we haven't met yes. before. And they, Never met they seem like lovely yeah. people. And the, they, you hear the cars come, they're excited. And the little bo- the little toddler goes running toward the street. And you're like, oh, God, please. No, 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 no. Yep. Don't let the <laughs> toddler run out in the middle of the street. And he doesn't. He saves the toddler. He runs out. He grabs the toddler. <laughs> We're safe. He didn't run out in the middle of the. Oh, it's the other child. It's the other that, child. Uh, the other child. The entire, that entire. Like, apparently, that's a real story. Like that kid. Um, or he, Michael Mann met that person who survived that crash. And he was like, oh yeah, I didn't run out to the street fast enough, but my brother was faster than me and he got killed just along with everybody. Absolutely. Man. The, the, the framing of that moment and the humanity of that moment and the, the joy turning to horror, it, it, it was extremely powerful. Best use of silence I've seen in a film in a very, mm. very long time. And when you're sitting with the crowd, you also have to hear the people responding to it. So there was a huge gasp around me. There were people just being like, Oh my God, we're just, so we're just sitting in this, huh? We're just gonna, gonna pan over all these bodies. Okay. Okay. And then you get to, uh, who is it? Depotargo, like cut in half. Um, just want to say like, that is such an, 
it is not a scene I expected in a movie like this, but it also goes to show like this is kind of their terrible joy that he talks about, yeah. right? Like we all want to see these things. Racers still put themselves in danger to go to incredible speeds to go around a loop or go around a track or whatever for their own excitement and our own enjoyment. But there is a cost, you know, yeah. there's a cost to achieving these sorts of dreams. And that's kind of something that feels cemented also watching this movie and also something I felt from the iron claw. Uh, the, there's a minute where somebody just smacks down on bare cement from a suplex and iron claw. There are scenes in movies where you just like feel, Right. If you're yeah. not even in a chair with haptics or anything, you're just like, oh, the human body is not supposed to do that. Um, yeah. I just got that sense from one this thing movie. I really appreciate about the scene is what causes it. Right. Like this yes. it slows down and then this mm -hmm. the tire rolls over like a uh, sharp obstruction in this in the street. If I'm not, mistaken, not even right? sharp. It's just a divider. It's like a lane divider, yeah, a, a yeah. lane yeah. divider that has been like has been run over by a truck yeah. or has been hit on the side. So it just, right. yeah. it's got a slight sharp edge just popping up. But when you're going at literally blinding speed, hurtling across a road at like 140 miles an hour. In just a metal thing, <laughs> as Jeff pointed out, barely has a windscreen. <laughs> like yeah. It doesn't have a seatbelt. It's got no windscreen. And this short tire just goes bang. And when it hits, you're just like, yeah. it, 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 the anticipation of once you see the impediment and you see them hurtling down this tree tunnel, you're like, oh, this is, this is the most awful thing that I'm going to see. Yeah, this scene just... affected me so much, I replaced my car tires because of it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Oh. Tires are uh, important, people. It's literally are the only thing yeah. touching the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. But just the, the, Hopefully. the line between life and death can be like yeah. a tiny little yep. little uh, sharp bump on the road, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can separate, you know. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Uh, let's wrap it up right there for our review of Ferrari. Blake Howard, you want to let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week? Yes. Look, um, firstly, before I do that, Lads, love you guys. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always a pleasure. And this was so fun. And I just Yay. thought about like, how funny it is that how many of your listeners might go, shit, I need new tires. Um, that's really <laughs> Get funny. Get new tires. Get it's new way tires too cold. immediately. Um, yeah. So please do that. Or if you're, in the, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere like me, it's really hot and roads are hot and tar is you know, hot. So if you've mm -hmm. got bald tires, sort that out immediately. Um, but if you want to find my stuff, oneheatminute.com is everything that we're doing. Um, One Heat Minute Productions is a bunch of shows. Um, I do a great show with Katie Walsh called Miami Nice, which is pretty regular. Right now, my dear friend Jen Johans and I are doing a show called Midnight Run Through, which is 12 episodes going through uh, Marty Breast's classic series. And then we sort of have other mini series that come up uh, in there. So we've got a ton of shows. We've got the great Henson Caper, Pod Thomas Anderson, Increment <laughs> Vice, Last 12 Minutes of the Mohicans, you name it. There is shows. <laughs> best plenty. titles in yes, podcast titles. Yeah. And yeah, we did conclude uh, We did conclude Podcaster and Commander, seven episodes that ends with an interview with Peter Weir, his first in a decade. So, wow. um, so yeah, look, check out that. That's what I do. I, we kind of have these like ongoing shows, but uh, sort of functioning miniseries as well. Um, and I'd love you to check them out. And yeah, that's that's where you can find me. One Blake minute on socials, on your letterboxed, on uh, on 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 Twitter. I will never call it X. Uh, Instagram, etc. Um, those uh, places is where you can find me. Yeah, and I I do want to give a shout out to Blake who is joining us from Australia this morning, where it was five a.m. when he started recording. Oh, um, so honor his sacrifice by going wow. to visit all of his podcasts and and check them out. Oh, that's thanks. how much he loves Michael Mann. 
Yeah. yeah. You can His find more. It's coming up. Hey, happy birthday, Michael Mann. In a couple weeks. Yeah. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com and support this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper comes from Noah Ross as well. Uh, he also did our weekly plug music and helped to edit this episode with video assistance provided by Kurt Mega. Next week on the podcast, it's going to be... I just want to make sure I get this right. Society of the Snow. Society mm-hmm. of the Snow. Not the Society of Snow. Society of the Snow, uh, which was just nominated for an Oscar as yes. we're recording this. Uh, and is apparently both harrowing and also very, very good. Newest film by J.A. Bayona. It is streaming right now on Netflix. Um, that'll be our, ma- our main review this week. I'm just going to tell you guys, uh, it's going to be a weird year uh, when it comes to <laughs> movies that we're reviewing. Okay, like... Uh, there have been like weeks without a major release, you know, uh, in the United States. And I think there's going to be many stretches of 2024 when there's going to be no major releases. And so we're going to get a little more creative when it comes to what to review. Um, but Society of the Snow, I think, is a great one. A lot of people have seen it. It's a big hit on Netflix. And so we look forward to discussing it with you all here on the Filmcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.